Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And keep your eyes and your mind wide open to all that I am doing for you in your life. Amen to that. Got to have the Lord's hand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Prayer, Jabez, is um, may your hand be upon me and uh, broaden my way and keep evil from me that it not grieve me. Great, great prayer. Hope you pray that every day and seek the Lord's face because that is the way. And without further ado, let's do the quack report. Okay, first up in the quacker. I don't know the quacker today. I'm sorry, here I am, here I am. Can you hear me now, Frank? We had some technology issues. Okay, great. I'm just going to do the quack report, and um, I'll admit some of it is kind of a downer, but uh, we'll get through it. Uh, They're saying half of young people have so many emotional problems they can't focus. Uh, 48% of youngsters, they say, are experiencing problems during their school years, and it's preventing them from concentrating on their academics. Uh, that's That's a high average. They said more than half, like 58% of them, didn't think they should ask for help because no one's going to help them solve their problems. Uh, So the latest report from the Youth Index uh, is gauging this, how students feel about a range of topics in their life and health and so forth. Half of the youngsters uh, said they feel pressure uh, of getting a job, uh, and they're greater than they were a year ago. They also feel that they have no control over their job prospects and that they won't be as successful as their parents. Um, so this index surveyed uh, thousands of young people, um, and they say that they feel that their circumstances have trapped them and are beyond their control. This is not good that they think this way. Um, so kind of shocking how uh, they feel desperate about their life situation, Um, So one in ten young people said they did not know anyone who really cares about them. Forty-five percent said they were so stressed out about their body image. And 37 percent said that they felt stressed about coping with work or school. Mm. All right, moving along in the quack report. Um, This is sad. This is a 10-month-old baby who suffers from now 14 seizures a day after he got the new meningitis vaccine. So parents, listen up. Um, It's just in the U.K. A couple are furious that after they took their son uh, to get his uh, vaccinations that he has experienced the violent seizures the day following um, getting them. Uh, They have posted a video of their son experiencing these seizures up on social media. Uh, It was reported in the UK Daily Mail. Uh, The parents said that their uh, son, Bobby, has been to the hospital 55 times since he got his vaccine. Um, Of course, you know, 
government's downplaying it. Uh, the Daily Mail noted that um, the meningitis, it's called the uh, Bexerio meningitis B vaccine, has been administered to all babies in the U.K. since September of 2015, and seizures seem to be a side effect. They're still giving it, though. So this is, like, going to ruin this baby. Um, uh, so the, the parents are just uh, upset about it. Um, the video up on the social media has been uh, viewed over 1.8 million times. And um, so she says she won't sleep until she spreads the word to protect other babies and inform other parents about what's going on. She said um, what they experienced after he got his vaccines and before he had his first seizure, he, she said his temperature spiked suddenly, and that is one of the uh, telltale signs of a seizure for kids is their temperature spikes quick and um and he got all floppy and unresponsive so yeah vaccines do create seizures yeah be doing your homework out there and last but not least in the quack report fda admits cybersecurity vulnerabilities in some medical devices uh a problem big problem uh yeah medical devices like pacemakers and insulin pumps um, people um, who have these devices, or if you go and have an MRI scan even, uh, they say that hacking is a real problem of these medical devices. The FDA is now admitting uh, that um, patients who use these types of devices could be victims of hacking. Uh, they, uh, according to FDA, quote, cybersecurity threats are real, ever-present, and continuously changing, end of quote. So uh, Susan Swartz, a senior Food and Drug Administrator Administration official, said uh, hackers become, as they become more sophisticated, uh, the cybersecurity risks are going to evolve. So in 2015, the FDA did tell hospitals to stop using a particular infusion pump made by Hospiria Inc., which uh, because it has security risks. And, uh, and hackers, there was an open door, and hackers could control the device from a distance. Oh, no. Okay, FYI out there, life we live in. And that wraps the quack report. Hey, thanks, Frank. I'm sorry, Frank. You know, I pushed my little um, cough button here because I took a sip of water, and then I pushed it again to start talking, but I didn't see the light come on, so I don't know. I hope my button's not acting up here. All right, we're going to talk about getting stamina because, <laughs> you know, I get calls. Uh, quite recently, I've got a few calls um, on how we can obtain more stamina. Now, has stamina become a lo- lost to human race? Has it become lost where did we leave it? We lost it. Uh, people are now just, what, reminiscing about, uh, you know, uh, stamina when they used to have it vicariously and living through movies now when you see the superheroes leaping tall buildings, a single bound kind of thing. You know, where did stamina go? Uh, people of all ages are desiring to have more stamina. Yep. So the definition of stamina is not just energy, but it is energy with staying power, fortitude, toughness, grit, you know? And that was the kind of endurance that was needed to build some of the ancient kingdoms of the world. So the origin of the word stamina 
began in the 18th century, and it stems from the Latin word stamen, meaning the thread of life. And uh, this alludes to the DNA cloth or stock uh, from which we come from. Um, it was also a word closely used with the pedigree for animals and the genealogy of humans. So let's see how we can obtain more stamina the natural way, you know, the non-toxic way. Well, what's the medical definition of stamina? Well, the medical definition of stamina comes from the Journal of the American Medical Association. They say it this way. They say, quote, the strength or vigor of bodily constitution or the capacity for withstanding fatigue or resisting disease, end of quote. That's what they think stamina means. All right, so where did all our stamina go? It seemed to evaporate. Well, there are many health experts that agree that modern man has less stamina than our ancestors. And some blame it on, you know, modern conveniences, more entertainment, the sedentary occupations we now have. Others state that processed foods and depleted minerals in the soil have contributed to our decline in stamina. And there is a certain rationale to their argument as most of us are not like our ancient ancestors having to, you know, go hunt for the food, uh, you know, we're less active and we're exposed to more toxins than they were. So in the ancient world, you know, if you didn't move your behind, uh, you kind of would miss out. All right. So, however, the, the human body is designed for endurance, but not for speed, typically. So how did the ancient civilizations build their architectural wonders in the time span that they had with no modern technology. You know, I've seen I've seen the arguments on that, you know. All over the internet is like the aliens built the pyramids, that kind of thing. Well, I would think it was because they had great stamina. Well, let's check it out. Is it the food? You know, is it the food? According to the research from the University of Exeter in southwest England, Human stamina may be hidden in specific foods. For instance, when they studied the effects of beetroot juice, it improved stamina in humans by a minimum of 16 to 20%. So how did it do that? Well, the researchers discovered that beetroot improves the oxygen uptake and reduces the tired feeling when we exert energy. So the beetroot juice improved breathing, cardiovascular function, and metabolic function. So the research included two test groups, one given about 500 milligrams or 17 ounces of beetroot juice daily. The other group got a placebo. And the group that got the beetroot juice also had lower resting blood pressure. So the study suggested that it may be the nitrate that boosts stamina in the beetroot but they're not really exactly sure how that mechanism is working. They also suspect that the nitrate in beets could be converted to nitric oxide, thus reducing the oxygen requirement that the body needs when we exert. So the research was published in the 2009 Journal of Applied Physiology, and another study was done also at the University of Exeter School of Sport and Health Sciences, and they found that nitrate-rich foods increase human exercise endurance. So they found out that beets accomplish this oxygen uptake so well and it reduces blood pressure that it can't be duplicated by other means, including athletic training. 
And their research, their results were published in the 2008 Journal of the American Heart Association. Here is a quote from uh, Professor Andrew Jones at Exeter University. He says this, the research found that when beetroot supplement was used, there was a striking increase in performance by altering the use of oxygen during exercise. So for runners, he says, this brings a 1% to 2% improvement in race times, and it could mean the difference in winning and losing, end of quote. Yeah, I guess in the Olympics, a millimeter of a second, right? So in summary, the research teams at Exeter University found that beetroot improves stamina and could help people live more active lives by improving severe intensity exercise endurance by 20%, significantly reducing systolic blood pressure, that's that top blood pressure reading, and also reduces the oxygen requirements of exercise on the body. Hmm. Well, let's check out some nitrate-rich foods then. Uh, Other foods that you would want that contain high nitrate content are celery, cress herb, French parsley, lettuce, cucumbers, spinach, arugula, cabbage, radishes, collard greens, and broccoli. So um, what does beetroot actually do when we consume that? Well, according to an article in Nutritional Science, nitrate-rich foods like your beetroot help with friendly bacteria in your body and also help relax blood vessels and thus the drop in the blood pressure. And the Journal of Functional Biochemistry in Health and Disease also reports that the nitrate in beets is highest in all your vegetable foods like beets and the ones we just listed, and it gets in the bloodstream very quickly, they said. So these nitrate-rich foods also offer some protection from blood platelets sticking together so it prevents clots. However, you know, some people, if they get too much nitrate, they can get a migraine headache. So um, usually it's caused, though, by artificial nitrate food preservatives. They're the problem. They can give you a headache like a migraine. And it's usually uh, nitrate food preservatives are added to like things like lunch meats, hot dogs, sausages, ham, bacon, that kind of thing. Also, natural nitrate will also be found in chocolate and some red wine. But they do add artificial man-made sulfites and nitrates to wine as a preservative and for clarity. So I'm suspecting those are the ones that cause the headache issues. So, um, But chocolate can be a trigger for those with headache problems. So FYI, it's nitrate. All right, let's step back for a minute in time and, and look at the ancient thing again. You know, how did they move those rocks around? and uh, build those ancient temples and pyramids. So looking back for a moment on the manpower it took, let's say, to build the Egyptian empire, uh, we have to ask, what foods did they eat? Well, according to French, a French research team, they actually explored that question, and they ran some tests on over 45 Egyptian mummies dating back from 3500 B.C. all the way to 600 A.D., and they say the results were pretty consistent. The isotopes in the remains of the dead Egyptians offered a chemical signature that is found in foods. And what the research team suggested is that the ancient Egyptians were vegetarians. They ate very little fish or meat. And the Egyptian wall release, the pictures of the Egyptians, you know, catching fish, spearing fish, um, 
Well, it wasn't for consumption, apparently, according to the experts. They would use that food, the fish, as an offering uh, for their gods. So they really didn't eat it. They used it as a food offering. Now, the research was published in the Journal of Archaeological Science, and researchers have also pieced together other archaeological and anthropological evidence that suggests that while in captivity in Egypt, the Israelis, the Israelites ate bread and grains, vegetables, fruits, and very little meat and just some fish. Yep. So both the Egyptians and the Israelites, uh, they would also uh, drink wine and beer because excavations of the ancient Egyptian sites near the pyramids produce evidence of large living quarters for the workers as well as a bakery and a brewery. So the ancient labor force building the pyramids enjoyed vegetables rich with nitrate along with bread and beer. Now, this is not an excuse to go get a, a, a you know a case of beer for more stamina. That's not <laughs> that's not what we mean here. Um, but let's just uh, look at the beetroot once again, and, and to get more information on it, we we need to look to ancient Rome because from what we can tell from the use of beets in the ancient world, it was really cultivated in North Africa, Asia, and Europe, but it was mostly grown for the green tops. So the red root part was really not used until the Romans started using it. And then it was it became an excellent source of sugar and also for making dyes. And today we have uh, to be real careful and we want to get organic beetroot as a lot of the beetroot now is genetically modified for the sugar industry. So beware of that. So if you're juicing beets, Put the green tops in, too. They're excellent. Um, it also builds blood up in 24 hours, so if you're a bit anemic, beet juice is going to do the job. Uh, what other benefits do we get from beets? Well, beetroot also offers some anti-inflammatory benefits. So the beets also protect your cells that are used to fight inflammation and protect our organs and our blood vessels. So the beets are also rich in a lot of minerals and fiber. Both are very beneficial for our muscles and nervous system. So the minerals that you get in beets, like manganese, are necessary for healthy bones, for healthy liver, kidneys, and pancreas. Now, pregnant mothers may wish to eat some beets for the folate, the vitamin B, to reduce birth defects. And I'm sure those beets taste a lot better than the artificial petrochemical vitamins they're prescribed. Now, if you want to add beets, to the body, it's also going to detoxify the body. So when the body breaks down toxins, the nutrients in your beets help with the second part of that process when the toxins bind to molecules and are discarded as debris. So the minerals help to, you know, dump all that debris quickly out of the system. You don't want to hang on to that anyway. Now, the other week, if you were listening to the show, we found out that spinach helps the body get rid of unwanted fat. So if you wanted to dump some unwanted fat pretty quickly and reduce your food cravings for sweets and carbohydrates, you want to make sure you get some spinach. Uh, so today we find that beets contain many helpful benefits, including offering our body more stamina. So if you're trying to exercise more to lose weight, uh, factor in some beets along with your spinach. And these two food sources, guess what? You're going you're gonna to find that they help you run your body's lean and mean. That's right. So if you're looking for that 
that's the way to go. So you're going to find organic spinach and beetroot in the Body Foundation food mix, and you find the Body Foundation food mix at thepowerherbs.com. Yep. The folks at Apothecary Herbs make the Body Foundation food mix, and it's all certified organic whole food ingredients, and it does have the spinach and the beetroot in there. It has a lot of other great stuff, but those two are definitely included. And you just add a scoop of it. It's powdered, and you just add it to juice, water, or make a smoothie. My um, my adults, uh, children in their 20-somethings, uh, the youngest two are in their 20s, they have had friends uh, take uh, a taste of their smoothies with this body food mix in it, and they go, what is in that? Because they feel really good. They, it made them feel amazing. It just shows you how depleted people are of minerals and vitamins and amino acids and things that you get from your plants, you know. So uh, you can just, uh, just you know, get a lift from some super nutrition. And, uh, and it, it is amazing to feel revitalized, you know, and have that stamina and have that endurance going for you. So the body food mix, um, you can get it in two sizes, 16 or 32 ounce. Um, so it's about a month's supply, the small one. And uh, so, but we do have it in a larger size because people kept asking for the larger size. So the, the Body Foundation Food Mix, you'll find at thepowerherbs.com. Or if you want to give them a call, that number is 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. But if you're outside the U.S., dial 704 704- Eight eight five zero two seven seven. That's seven zero four eight eight five zero two seven seven. And of course, the website thepowerherbs.com. And um, I've had a lot of people say, you know, that thing is just so full of nutrition. I, I got rid of all the little individual vitamin bottles that I had on my counter. Absolutely, you know, well, nutrition shouldn't be complicated and it shouldn't be petrochemical related. No, no, no. Uh, if you're on the website, don't forget to check out their money-saving coupons. Or if you're calling, make sure you ask about the coupons and save some money and get healthy. What could be better than that? Oh, I know. Signing up for the free online newsletters, also at thepowerherbs.com. So if you have email, you can sign up for their free newsletters, packed full of, you know, I would think life-saving information. Uh, the American Survival Newsletter goes out on Tuesday. And the Health Quest newsletter goes out on Friday. So, and they're both free. There's no subscription, and you can opt out anytime. But it, it is unique information that you're not going to get anywhere else. And um, a lot of people tell me, hey, you know what? I, 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 I try to print off that stuff and put it in a binder. And I, I get asked, aren't you going to write another book? Oh, I got to write another book, I guess. I don't know what I'm going to do about that. I don't know. It's just not enough hours in the day kind of thing. I'm probably going to have to ask um, to get some help in here and uh, organize all my, all my, you know, writing my articles and, and combine it into segments so we can have a nice another edition and empowerment part two, if you will. Yeah, I think I'm going to do that. Something to do in my spare time, also known as while I sleep. Right? I got to take a break. We'll be right back.
pumping life into the original medicine. Herbalist Wendy Wilson will be right back. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in an untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. trust anyone wearing a mask, robbers, cattle rustlers, or doctors. I listen to Herb Talk Live. As men get older, they are subject to hormone imbalance. And when this happens, men can experience osteoporosis, memory loss, irritability, blood sugar imbalance, weight gain, enlarged prostate, erectile dysfunction, and risk of stroke. The human endocrine system manufactures hormones. Why not feed your system plant nutrition to make the hormones that are right for you? For centuries, these herbs have been used to balance the male hormone system. Men, you've waited long enough for the male hormone formula. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 for the male hormone formula. 866-229-3663 or online at thepowerherbs.com. 866-229-3663 where your healthcare options just became endless. Our prescription for good health? Herb Talk Live with herbalist Wendy Wilson. No insurance card required. Financial obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free, 866 866- 229-3663 that's 866-229-3663 international callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3w.thepowerherbs.com
it's very Caribbean, Frank. Oh, I can see the palm tree tree swaying. I mean, it, it's such a, a nice spot because we got snow on the ground here. I'm ready for the warmer weather. I really am. We're supposed to get really warm this weekend. Friday, it's supposed to be 70 degrees after it's been 20. So big jump there. Um, but just don't break out the tikini just yet. We, we still got we still got February to go, which is the big flu month, and I think people are seeing a spike in flu cases. So FYI out there, um, sugar laden a Valentine's Day just around the corner, and uh, more flu is inevitable. All right, we're going to be talking about uh, a healthy food. Um, some people don't like this food. Some people love this food. Uh, we're going to be talking about onions. Uh, for, and, and, and it's cousin to the garlic, but it's got lots of medicinal benefits. Uh, so, you know, when you're a kid growing up, you don't like onions. Unless it's on a McDonald's hamburger. Then, it's, you know, they were so small you could hardly, you know, taste them. But I've noticed lately that, you know, teenagers and 20-somethings, they, they're saying they don't like onions, right? So they don't like the smell, the taste, the texture of onions. Have you not heard this from the young people? I have. And uh, what are they missing out on? Well, let's just look. Uh, onions are native to Asia and the Middle East, but they're cultivated everywhere. And there are many onion options um, in the Allium acipa family. It's cousin, of course, uh, to the garlic, like I mentioned. It's also in the family of chives, scallions, and leeks. And you know them because of their pungent aroma and flavor, um, but they do have a lot of medicinal power. So the entire planet, this earth, harvests about 100 billion pounds of onions every year. And there are no common names uh, for the onion. Uh, top producers of onion are, are going to be the countries of China, India, India, the United States, Russia, and Spain. A little history. Um, it is said that onions, like no other food or herb, uh, could be used um, like it was for currency. The Egyptians actually paid their workers in onions. Ooh, I wonder if that was, you know, the Israelites. Did they get paid in leeks and onions? Because they used to talk about that when they were wandering the desert, probably. Um, so in ancient Egypt, it was a currency, onions. Uh, it's believed um, to have been used during the time when the pyramids were being built. So all over the world, different cultures value onions, use them basically to flavor their dishes or as a medicine or simply to pay their taxes. So North America had Christopher Columbus to thank for cultivating the onions because he brought them from the West Indies uh, from when he brought them from there to the Western Hemisphere. So thanks, Chris. And uh, wouldn't it be great if we could just pay our property taxes with a bag of onions? Maybe we get back to that. May I ask President Trump? <laughs> um, okay, so the youngsters, you know, they do have some opinions when it comes to the type of onions. Uh, some have, um, you know, the sharper taste, and, and while others have a sweeter taste. So if you're looking at onions, uh, the most popular ones are going to be your yellow onion, white onion, and the purple onion. And the purple tends to be sweet. It, it's uh, got a name. Usually they're called Vidalia. Uh, comes from Vidalia, Georgia. That's where they grow them, and they're sweeter. Uh, the white onion is going to be hotter than the yellow 
Uh, so white onion's got a bigger bite to it. It's got more heat to it. So um, if you got kids that don't like onion, probably go with the purple and then work your way up to the white. So here are some of the benefits. Uh, research done on the health benefits of onions. It's scientifically known that onion gives uh, some important protection for your urinary tract. So if you tend to have urinary tract issues, you might want to work some more onions into your diet. Uh, it's also great for the digestive tract and the pulmonary circulatory system. So the onion carries these antiseptic-like qualities. So it's probably why if you've got microbes hanging around the urinary tract, why it helps with that. Modern herbalists like onion to help with cardiovascular issues like cholesterol, blood clots, blood sugar issues, blood pressure. Now, some research involves animal studies that suggest onions do lower cholesterol and help prevent blood clots when they're given in large doses. Now, the German E-Commission, which is kind of equivalent to the U.S.'s FDA, uh, they confirm uh, these recommendations for onion for cardiovascular health and also for the prevention of arterial sclerosis. So hardening of the arteries and things like that. Well, what they use onion for in ancient times? Um, onion was used for thousands of years for lots of ailments. Um, they used them to get rid of worms, parasites, to reduce swelling, to reduce gas was used as a diuretic for colds and coughs, as well as congestion to help loosen sticky phlegm. It has also been a healing aid for infections and um, also for nausea. So people down through the centuries have used onion for uh, things like warts. Great for all kinds of warts, by the way, especially if you've got kids in sports and their feet get all yucky and moist inside that athletic shoe. Uh, onion is great for warts. And uh, it's great for blemishes any pain, strains, bruises, and infections. So our ancient ancestors would use onions or onion oil to cleanse surfaces away from bacteria and fungus. So instead of Lysol, they used onion oil. So let's look at some more research. Uh, it shows that onion is full of vitamin C as well as your sulfur compounds. These help lower blood sugar, and it's also um, an option for people that have struggled with diabetes. Animal research also shows onion extract stops cancer tumor growth in rats. And scientists report in 1990 that the chemical compounds in onions can moderate the threat of asthma by reducing the inflammation response. Other high nutrients in onion yield vitamin A, magnesium, potassium, protein, and riboflavin. And then, of course, there's been some research regarding onions and cancer. There seems to be uh, a lot of studies, actually, on onions and how it can help with cancer. The uh, China, Chinese study, uh, they had like 560 patients, and this was from 1989, and it revealed that when you eat onions uh, or other vegetables with the sulfur compound, the allium in there, it reduces the risk of stomach and esophageal cancers. Actually, all the foods with allium sepa in that family are especially good for fighting off colon, rectal, stomach cancers, and so forth. So scientists believe it's the sulfur and the antioxidant compounds in your onion that fights off uh, the cancer and stops the mechanism that creates tumors and uh, it is pretty much a, a good deterrent, they think. They do not know what's in the onion or, or garlic, for instance, that inhibits tumor growth, but it keeps cancer from metastasizing. 
Other studies with onion regarding cancer also included the prostate, which appeared in the Journal of the Natural Nat- National Cancer Institute, the research there proved that men who ate onions and garlic or other allium vegetables uh, lowered their risk of prostate cancer. Obviously, there are some protective effects from these foods, which science really can't put their finger on in order to make a drug from it, but it's estimated that several servings of raw onion per week can be very helpful at lowering your risk of certain types of cancers. So with regards to other cancerous conditions like breast or lung cancer, uh, the addition of flavonoids in onions, have uh, um, they're also an overall cancer deterrent for those types of cancers as well. Well, let's look at some insomnia. Other interesting uh, finds regarding onion, uh, it seems to improve sleep and your mood. So scientists think the folate nutrient in the onion can lift a person's mood out of depression and protect them from excessive uh, amino acid in the blood plasma from accumulating. So too much homeocytine can block the body's ability to deliver oxygen-rich blood and nutrition to your brain, and too much of that protein is believed to interfere with serotonin hormones and dopamine and norepinephrine and keep you awake. So all these regulate sleep, help regulate mood, even your appetite. So onions help support the central nervous system with its natural vitamin Bs, and it's believed to have some neurodegenerative um, protection mechanisms. So from any kind of neurodegenerative uh, diseases like dementia or Alzheimer's, onion seems to help with that, And uh, but you'd have to take it daily. So eat some onions every day if you're worried about neurodegenerative issues. So if you're wanting to incorporate onions uh, or any of those allium sepa foods in your diet, it's a good idea to get them fresh. And don't peel your onions, uh, all of them, right away. I don't ever peel my onion. I cut into my onion, use what I want, and peel off that outer layer. And, and, and I wrap what I'm not using really well and put it in one of those veggie protective bags. Have you seen them at the stores? They're like green or yellow, and they help not only keep your refridge from smelling like an onion, but also uh, keeps the onion fresher because onions tend to dry out really quick. So that layer, that papery layer on the outside of the onion keeps it moist until you cut into it. And most of your Allium Sika types of foods, like your uh, garlic, onion, and so forth, um, they have a white, oh, uh, a dry and a wet cell. Okay, and when you cut into them, those cells are merged together, they're mixed, and this is where you get the action and the medicinal uh, benefits from this, uh, this, this type of food and the aroma as well. Uh, so the outer layers help uh, the onion retain its flavonoids. So if you peel it and, and store it, you're going to dehydrate your onion and you'll lose 20% of your nutrients that way. So the rule is, if you're going to peel it, you better use it and eat it. <laughs> That's the rule. Now, some people will opt um, to eat other vegetables instead, like red bell peppers, carrots, tomatoes for nutrition. And these do offer nutrition for sure, but not as much as the onion, the garlic, or the leeks. So there are more polyphenols or antioxidants in, and tannins in the Allium sepa family foods. So flavonoids are also considered one of the world's 
healthiest food sources. There's like over 6,000 flavonoids identified by science, and they are all probably, there's probably many more. They just haven't identified them all. But at this writing, onions contain most of the flavonoids that science knows about per ounce uh, compared to other vegetables. So twice the amount of flavonoids you get from your onions and your garlic. Now, many doctors won't tell you, they won't tell their patients, especially menopausal women, uh, to eat more onions to strengthen your bones because that's what onions do. And studies suggest that sporadic eating of onions really won't improve bone density or prevent fractures. However, if you eat onions daily, it proved to be a solid influence on bone health. Yep, so they also found that to strengthen the connective tissues also uh, improve dramatically as well as your bones when you eat onions every day. And the reason is that the tissues that connect us together need the sulfur to be strong. So, And you'll find it in your garlic and onions. Mm. All right, so additional research um, on onions is it, it helps the immune system out. It reduces inflammation. Uh, so like if you have rheumatoid arthritis or asthma or bronchitis or pneumonia conditions, uh, onions help with that. And this is why the ancient uh, settlers, the American settlers, um, they have all these little um, cute little writings about what they did, um, you know, Dr. Mom, you know, uh, went <laughs> 1700s, 1800s, crossing America, forging the trail. If you came down with a chest cold, um, they would take onion and heat the onion, and they would wrap it in, um, you know, a T-shirt or some sort of cotton cloth, and uh, they would put it on your chest. And because uh, onions and garlic can burn skin, you know, so they had a little buffer in between, but it did wonders for breaking up the congestion. So they would do it that way, and you know, you would also breathe in the vapors from that warm onion which also did a world of good. So onions will, you know, uh, help the part of the immune system um, that triggers inflammation. It kind of keeps it to a minimum without shutting down your immune system. And science believes it's the antioxidants in onions that are doing that. Uh, also, onions have a detoxing benefit. Uh, additional research has suggested that the flavonoids in onions can help the body to naturally detox itself so when there are onions, there are cells, I'm sorry, when there are toxins there are in the cells, um, it can contaminate the cells. So scientists think onions help detoxify the body and keep um, the, that contamination to a minimum. So um, basically when you detox, there's a couple of steps or phases uh, that helps the immune system remove damaged cells or debris uh, to neutralize contaminants, but science says there's further studies that need to go on regarding onions and its flavonoid complex to see how it's actually helping to detoxify. So there are lots of flavonoids in foods to help us keep healthy. Other than your onion, there's apples and almonds and sweet potatoes, your bananas and blueberries, bell peppers, celery, oranges, your chili peppers, cantaloupe, lettuce, grapefruit, tomatoes, cabbage, raspberries, and, of course, gabonzo beans. So, man, wouldn't that be great to have a greenhouse or a garden with all that? Oh, you'd have it made. Um, what about supplements? People say, well, I don't like onions. I don't like to have offensive breath from onions, so I'm just going to take an onion supplement. Mm. Mm. 
Okay. Animal studies found that a supplement, if you take it in supplement form, did not provide as much nutrition as the raw form due to the processing or cooking uh, that took place to make the supplement ingredient. So many people like to avoid the onion breath and will use the desulfured onion or garlic supplements. However, the medicinal power is removed when you got a desulfured product. It's pretty much worthless from a medicinal standpoint. So whole food supplements that are not cooked or heated uh, are going to be offering you superior um, nutrition. It's going to be concentrated nutrition, what was in the onion to begin with, or the garlic, and that's what is medicinally required if you want those benefits. So, um, But I suggest people do is, um, you know, take their raw onion or their garlic um, and, and, you know, just put it in their foods, their salads, their sauces, um, and, and, you know, try not to heat it too much. I always say, you know, low, low, low simmer. Um, but I suggest people, you know, use it raw if they can. Uh, now, if, if you have trouble with that, um, there's a couple easy ways to get raw uncooked whole food supplements, uh, Apothecary Herbs has a couple options for you. Um, they do have a product called All-in-One, which does contain the garlic and onion, and it's a liquid. It's a tonic. And you could uh, hide that in vegetable juice so you don't know it's there. And, you know, drink your V8 or your whatever juice you've made, and you won't know it's there. And you can get your onion power that way. Um, they do have also um, the Valcleanse Formula A. It's the only capsule they make, and it does have your garlic in there. So if you want to use that to tone and stimulate the bowel, and, to, and you know, if you got a sluggish bowel, this will tone it so it's not dependent like you do get on laxatives. So it's going to help tone that bowel muscle up and get you moving like you should. Also, you're going to f- find they also have, the garlic compound in their skin poultice. So if you're trying to avoid rashes, uh, venomous bites, and things like that, that is an excellent thing to have, especially when you're going to be moving into the spring and summer. If you're going out hiking, if you get you know some poison oak ivy or sumac, this will dry it up really quick. So that's a, a skin poultice product. And also um, you'll find they also have a prostate kit, and they have dandelion root that you can add to your onion for more anti-cancer power and uh, so you have tools and you have more options and more power than you thought uh so you know god put herbs here medicinal plants here for the service of man uh they're here for this uh healing of the nations and they're convenient and they're powerful and uh and we all know god can't lie so i say uh let's give him all the credit every day all the time thanking him for his um medicine, his options there to keep us healthy and well, of course, all his food sources with great nutrients that, you know, science couldn't have ever dreamed up, right, to keep us healthy and well. So uh, if you're looking for immune boosting and organ cleansing products and a few other things, then the folks at Apothecary Herbs have a free product catalog to send you. And you, all you have to do is pick up the phone or visit their website to request one, thepowerherbs.com, if you're going online thepowerherbs.com or call 866-229-3663 that's 866-229-3663 thepowerherbs.com that's where your healthcare options just became endless alright we got a few minutes here 
Don't forget when you go into the store tomorrow, get some onion. <laughs> I have all the time a big, large jar of minced garlic in my fridge. I love the heck out of garlic. I put it in everything just about. Yep. Big scoops on um, anything that I'm broiling, <laughs> just to give it the flavor. Uh, it's in my salad dressings. Oh, man. Garlic is the bomb. And um, and I think you just do well incorporating some of these rich sulfur type of herbs and foods into your diet. Okay, now we were talking about uh, detoxifying. You've got your onion and your garlic helping with that, um, as um, as well as your beetroot. Mention that. Um, and the reason we need to detoxify is because of so many things that t- seem to load us up with toxins. And I'm not just talking about, you know, you know, additives and foods. Um, I'm talking about vaccines and, you know, uh, pollution. And, of course, you know, a lot of times we don't think about the radiation toxicity that we get on a daily basis, you know. So, I mean, if you go to... Uh, a source that has radiation about uh, like a nuclear power station, the employees all wear these badges because of radiation poisoning. Uh, So uh, x-ray techs also, clinicians at hospitals wear these badges because radiation is toxic. It can cause cancer. The International Agency for Research on Cancer um, lists over 250 Class 2B carcinogens on their list from radio frequency electromagnetic fields. Okay, so you're saying, well, where do we get that? Well, this type of radiation comes from radios and TVs and microwave ovens and cell phones and Wi-Fi. And if you haven't noticed, Wi-Fi is being installed in your coffee shops, your hotels, throughout your neighborhoods, on airplanes, and now in schools. And I have to ask, Around the same time they put Wi-Fi in our local schools here, we have kids coming down with this rare ocular cancer, cancer of the eye. It is just strange. Uh, they are doing so many studies on, on this right now because they just don't know what's causing it. And I just say, you know, what's the new thing in the school? You know, the school's been here, what, 10 years, this one anyway. And all of a sudden, you put Wi-Fi in, and then these children get sick. I mean, does it take does it take Einstein to figure that out? Um, well, and they're using Wi-Fi because it's cheap. It's a cheaper way for all the laptops that the kids have to use to connect. Uh, so smart meters, any portable wireless device, laptops, mouses, um, broadcasting antennas, satellite radar devices, uh, when you go to the hospitals, MRI devices, um, any cordless phones. Um, so we're getting a lot of, you know, radiation this way. And so uh, I won't have a whole lot of time to go into the rest of this topic. We'll have to save this for next time. But we have to detoxify our system of radiation, and there's a way to do that. Right? There's a way to do that. First of all, you want to really try to limit your exposure at home, at work, from all this radiation. Do your best there. But also there are herbs that will actually pull out radioactive particles out of your tissue and protect you. So if you're interested in learning how to do that, uh, it's organ cleansing, and there are herbs that help do that. I guess 
Crystal Ward looked down through the ages of time and saw that we would be radioactivating ourselves into oblivion and said, hey, I got to have some herbs for that. <laughs> and there are. So call the folks at Apothecary Herbs and they'll talk to you about that. That number is 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663 or visit them on the web at thepowerherbs.com where your healthcare options just became endless. I can see I'm out of time, uh, but we'll be back on Thursday with more empowering information. The information presented is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure disease, so seek medical advice if you dare from a licensed medical physician before using any product or therapy. I'm your herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Until next time, be well. and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Lumana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserve, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Meat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. 
people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Welcome to the Covenant Answer Call. This is Pastor Mike Hoover, and we are broadcasting live from very windy, very wet southern Indiana. And we welcome you to the broadcast this evening. We are a call-in Bible question and answer program. If you have a question about the Word of God or if you have a question about what we're dealing with, we welcome you to call us here at American Voice Radio, that number 1-800-932-1980. 9321980. We also encourage you to come into the chat room. About a half a dozen of us in here. Some riveting conversation taking place. All you have to do is come to the American Voice Radio uh, website. You can click on chat, uh, give yourself a secret agent code name, and come on in and see what's going on in there. We welcome the folks on KU Satellite. Excuse me, KU Satellite Band Galaxy 19. Sorry for clearing my throat there, folks on the air. Had something stuck in the windpipe there. Transponder 23, frequency 12115. We appreciate folks that are listening uh, over the phone bank or on downloads to other FM stations across the country. And maybe people listening around the world. If you happen to be outside of the United States, I in particular would love to hear from you. We've heard from folk up in uh, Alaska and Canada. We've heard from folks in Northern Ireland. And uh, we always appreciate getting an email. Uh, by the way, you can email me, themuggyone at cleanenter.net. And I'd love to hear from you, T-H-E-M-O-G-O-L-L-O-N at C-L-E-A-N. I-N-T-E-R dot net. And uh, let us know that you're listening in. 
We'll give you more contact info a little bit later on. I've got our friend Donald up there in the Northland listening in. We appreciate him tuning into the broadcast. Pastor Jason Burton, Nunya, uh, John Galt withdraws, consent. Uh, a number of other people in there don't have time to mention them all, but we appreciate you listening in. Special hello uh, to our dear friends across the country. Hello there to Ed tonight. I think Ed's probably listening in over there uh, on the other side of our state. Uh, Ed, good to have you listen to the broadcast. Uh, Deborah down there uh, in uh, North Carolina, be praying for her. She recovers from uh, quadruple bypass surgery. Continue to pray for little Helen Rose. Her mother was here today with uh, her little brother, and uh, Helen is doing very well. But for the next two years, um, her immune system is going to be down to just about nothing. Uh, that is the process they go through as they treat those cancer cells. Uh, so she has to be extremely careful. Uh, so be praying for them. Be praying for our friend Shelby as she deals with uh, some other issues. Uh, uh, Brother Jim, man, our church really been sick the last week or so with this bad flu that's going around. If you would remember to pray for him. And uh, special old other folk out there, appreciate you tuning into the broadcast. Now, uh, don't forget that uh, in about the middle of March, and uh, Pastor Burton is in the chat room, and uh, if he would uh, put in there the exact date for me, we're going to be up there at the Cornerstone Historic Baptist Church in Union City preaching for them. I believe it's a Sunday uh, through a Wednesday. Uh, Brother Mike Adams and his family will be there. They're probably listening in this evening. Special hello to them as well as to the Burton clan and, and maybe even uh, the Costello family over there in northwestern Pennsylvania. If you're listening, we didn't mention you. Uh, please let me know next time, and I'll try my best to do it, but uh, we are going to be preaching up there and uh, having a great time in the Lord. We're going to be having Brother Wharton with us in the month of April, and then possibly uh, in the month of October, we will be out in the Tualatin, Oregon area. Possibly, we'll let you know as that time gets closer, uh, preaching out there. I'm hoping my friend from up there across the border in Washington State can come on down. Matter of fact, he's a guy that has a broadcast on this same network. Love to get together with him uh, while we're out there. And if Frank would... Uh, would uh, just load up <clears throat> and drive only about 400 miles north, uh, we could see him as well. But hello to everyone, and we appreciate you tuning in the broadcast. Now, we've been talking about America's descent into tyranny, and last time we were together, we were talking about some of uh, the things that Matthew chapter 24 has to say. You might want to turn there in your Bibles this evening, but uh, we're talking about uh, some weather phenomena, earthquakes, in particular. Yes, the dates for that meeting, March 12th through the 15th, and uh, we're looking forward to being up there with Pastor Burton and the people of Cornerstone Historic Baptist Church. Uh, let's talk about uh, those earthquakes just a little bit more this evening. We're talking about, folks, this all has a spiritual application. That's something that you need to understand. We're not dealing with willy-nilly things that we think will draw interest to this broadcasting network. We're trying to broadcast a warning to people out there. Minor earthquakes, tremors, as seismologists like to call them, are set forth as happening all the time across the face of the globe. Did you know that there are earthquakes and tremors in places they've never been seen before? We're told that we should not be too concerned about such occurrences, and so be it. But most of us know about and hear about the San Andreas Fault in California. Southern California is one of the most densely populated areas of the country. Geologists and seismologists wait with bated breath, regarding a suspected and expected grand quake along the San Andreas Fault sometime in the future. The jokes about Southern California 
falling off into the ocean after a giant cataclysmic earthquake may become a reality in the near future. We don't know. Almost weekly now, an earthquake strikes somewhere across the face of the globe. It is an undeniable fact that earthquakes are increasing in number. Some will prove to be catastrophic in size and destructive in force. Now, how do I know this? I'll tell you how I know this tonight, friends, because the Bible tells me so. Read about the global earthquakes in the Bible, in the books of Ezekiel, in the book of Revelation, for example. They are going to be so large and so destructive and so deadly that the entire globe will shake and rumble on its foundations. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 8, Jesus collects what he has told his disciples up to this point into one small statement. Listen very carefully. Here's what he says. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, let's understand what, that, what he said here. The parade of men telling the world that they're come in the name of Christ and deceiving the world into believing their claims, the wars and the rumors of wars, even nations rising against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms, and then the appearance of famines, pestilences, and earthquakes all around the world are only the beginning of sorrows. If these things are the beginning, what could be worse? What things might follow these sorrows which would bring deeper, worse sorrow and anguish? When Jesus' disciples heard him make this pointed statement, do you think they were astonished, thinking the same questions we're asking here tonight? Their astonished hearts were likely already aching as they listened to their master reveal the terrible things that were to be in the end of the world. The somber expressions on their faces were to become etched more deeply as they became aware of what Jesus told them next. Why? Because what he revealed to them next was directed at them or people just like them in the future who would suffer personally the extreme hatred of the devil himself. The first word in Matthew 24, verse 9 is, then. After describing the world seen during the end times to his men, Jesus wished to prepare them and us for the things that would immediately follow in chronological sequence. He said, then. An important word, then. Every word in the King James Bible, being the inspired, preserved, inerrant words of God, is important. Some Bible perversions may remove the word then from Matthew 24, 9, and in so doing would change the entire setting, the entire meaning, the entire understanding put forth by the words that follow. You see, when Jesus said then... He was establishing the threshold to express truths in chronological time regarding the end of the world. Jesus wanted his disciples to have a full understanding of the answer to their questions. When he said, then, the understanding he wished to convey through that one little word was that immediately, at the end or at the accomplishment 
of the manifestation of the things he'd revealed in verses 4 through 8. Things were going to happen. In time, these things would proceed without any significant interval. There would or will be no delay in the bringing forth of those things which will follow the word then. In fact, Jesus' statement regarding the beginning of sorrows in verse 8, followed by the word then in verse 9, is merely a continuum, a following, a flowing of one set of circumstances right into another set of circumstances with no break in continuity. As those on the earth in the end of the world, that's us now, come to the realization, grasp the fullness of the meaning that the things Jesus spoke of as the beginning of sorrows have occurred, then, without delay, other things will take place. There's an urgency in time to that word, then. It's as if those of us who are here on the earth when the beginning of sorrows has been fully manifested must be alert, quick to recognize and understand that those things coming next are upon us. They're here now. What are those things which follow the ominous then? With no indication whatsoever from Jesus that any time lapse occurs, between the things which he refers to as the beginning of sorrows and the things which follow, he declares, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. i got a question for you. Who is Jesus speaking of? He is speaking of those who believe in him, as we will shortly see. He's speaking of people in future time from 33 A.D. when he answered his disciples' questions about his second coming in the end of the world. He is speaking of the Christians who are alive on the earth at the end of the world. He is speaking of believers who are living their daily lives in the various human societies on earth at the time, at the time in history in chronology of time when that time has revealed the presence and the occurrence and happen, excuse me, happening of the things Jesus prophesied in verses 4 through 7, and which he called the beginning of sorrows in verse 8. In the flow of time, as when one speaks a sentence, one word following another in its beater and timing and unhesitating order, so verse 9 beginning with the word then, follows all that has been spoken before. The beginning of sorrows, the collection of those things which comprise it in verses 4 through 7, is immediately followed by the surprising prophecy by the Lord that his people, believers, are to be, number one, delivered up, number two, afflicted, and number three, Killed. How is it that the Lord can make the cognitive leap from the terrible events of the end of the world, things which will affect all people and all nations, right into the very lives of believers specifically 
and that with no evident space or gap in chronological time. It's as if one experiences a dreadful nightmare of his own assassination in his sleep. And rolling over in bed opens his blurry, waking eyes and sees, staring him face to face, the very specter of that dreamt-of assassin. That's how instantly chilling it must have been for Jesus' disciples as they listened to him describing the events which would take place at the end of the world, and then to hear him say, without skipping a beat, that they would be delivered up, afflicted, and killed. Do you think they were shocked? I would have been if I'd have been there listening to my Lord. Let's spend some time in the remainder of this broadcast this evening examining what Jesus reveals in verse 9 of Matthew 24 because it is vital to our understanding of the American tyranny. First, Jesus declares that they shall deliver up believers. Well, who is they? The word signifies, first of all, a group, more, more than one. And we understand this also in the context of the last half of the verse, when Jesus declares that believers will be hated by the entire world of people. The they will at least be those who hate believers across the face of the earth. Believers will be greatly outnumbered, and therefore, it will be difficult for them to resist the power of the they to take them and deliver them up. They will undoubtedly be many. Secondly, it'll be a natural thing for believers to be delivered up, not out of the ordinary, probably even expected activity or the duty of those who hate them. Thirdly, the delivering up implies first capture or apprehension, and then satisfying the apparent wish or desire or law of some higher authority who orders for the delivering up to occur. In other words, those they who lay hands on believers will have the authority and the power to do so, and they'll be expected or tasked to do so, and will be subservient or serving in some way to a higher social or political power. Because of that, there is the delivering up. It seems as though this delivering up will be a thing which occurs constantly over a period of time and will be seen as normal activity, at least for those who are the deliverers, the they that Jesus speaks of. To deliver as used in this particular verse means to surrender, yield up, entrust, bring forth, commit, put in prison. So the actual act of delivering up the hated believers will be a thing sanctioned by, even demanded by a civil authority. It shall not be some mere act of vigilantism on the part of a nasty, ragtag group of Christian haters who go around lynching their victims in secret at night in the woods out of sight of public view. No. This delivering up will be a sanctioned, organized, public activity in obedience to a public authority. 
further. The very words deliver you up implies an actual direction upward. Magistrates, judges, tribunals are most often up, above, set over those beneath. A judge sits higher than those others sitting in the courtroom. So in an actual, factual, literal sense, those who are apprehended will be taken and set before a judge or a magistrate or a civil authority who is up on high, and the accused will be looking up at the one or ones who will be passing judgment upon them. And to what will believers in the end of the world be delivered up? Those who apprehend them and turn them over to the authorities will not be delivering them up to a legal process of law, which we in America were once accustomed to. There possibly is an indictment or the issuance of an arrest warrant, but Jesus pointedly reveals there is no trial, no due process of law, no presentment of evidence. No rebuttal or defense allowable to the accused. If there is no trial, then what is it that takes place upon the delivering up? Jesus says it is to be afflicted. The reason for the delivering up is so that affliction may be perpetrated upon the person of the believer. The punishment for whatever crime these Christians have committed has already been determined. It's already been pronounced. It's already been set in motion. It's called affliction, and Jesus says it follows immediately on the heels of the delivering up. Let me ask you a question. Does this sound tyrannical? Jesus did not say they'd be delivered up for trial or a hearing or a judicial process. No, absolutely not. He says that in the end of the world, in specific answer to his disciples' question, believers will be delivered up for the express purpose of affliction. Apparently, as the world regards Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, in the days known as the end of the world, the process between arrest or apprehension for some supposed crime and the punishment for that crime has been done away. No arraignment, no pretrial hearing, no filing of charges, no trial, no jury, no adjudication, no sentencing, just affliction. Friends, these are characteristics of a tyranny. If you did not know, the USA Patriots Act since 2001 have sections in them allowing the federal government to avoid, bypass, and disregard what the U.S. Constitution calls, quote, due process of law, end of quote, in certain instances. Due process of law includes at least the following. Reasonable suspicion. Probable cause. Presentment of evidence. Indictment. Issuing of arrest warrants. Arrest. Arraignment. Pretrial hearing a trial in open court, opportunity for defense, a jury of peers, return a verdict, 
sentencings, sentencing, excuse me, an opportunity for appeal. These things, called due process of law, are protections recognized as inalienable rights to all Americans, and which are declared as such in the U.S. Constitution. In fact, the USA Patriots Act, acts I should say plural, have thoroughly abridged the inalienable right to due process of law. Those under the American tyranny who are delivered up for affliction will experience the full weight of this disregard for the Constitution. In the end of the world, those Christians who are delivered up for affliction will be denied due process of law, just as some today who are subject to the USA Patriots Act are denied the due process of law. In fact, in those soon days to come, Christians will be placed in the same categories as those who today are whisked away from all that they know and are stuffed down inside torture prisons. Christians will become legal non-persons as others have become today. Due process of law is an inalienable right, noted and guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution and the Fifth Amendment. Is your federal government acting as a tyranny when it today denies due process of law to an individual? See, the Fifth Amendment guarantees due process of law, or excuse me, since that Fifth Amendment guarantees due process of law, how it is, is, is it that the USA Patriot Acts can violate or disregard due process of law without first legally and lawfully changing the Fifth Amendment through the prescribed process of amendment? Hmm. Those are things we need to think about. We're about to go to break here on the Covenanters call. You stay tuned. We're going to continue dealing with this America's descent into tyranny. We're going to continue, by the grace of God, pointing out things that are already in place, that are a part of the tyranny that Jesus told his disciples about in the book of Matthew in 33 A.D. You want to tell me the Bible's not a relevant book? The Bible is the only relevant book for the ages. I would suggest to you tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior that you realize he's the only way and that you put your faith and trust in him. I hear the music. Let's take a break. We'll be right back.
Fortunately, you have Self-Defense Fund, a comprehensive litigation membership backing you on appeals, legal expenses, court costs, and more. Up to $1 million per incident and unlimited attorney cost per member. Discover SelfDefenseFund.com for yourself. Any weapon, any state, any time. about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time? I'd like to suggest Lumana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserve, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Welcome back to the Covenanters Call. Once again, the call in number 1-800-932-1980. I'd love to hear from you this week. Write to me, Pastor Mike Hoover, 2569 North State Highway 337 in Orleans, Indiana. Say, how do you spell that, Orleans? Well, it's just like New Orleans, just drop the new. And the zip is 47452. I shared my email address. The Mogion at cleanenter.net, T H E M O G O L L O N 
at C-L-E-A-N-I-N-T-E-R.net. Or give us a phone call, the number 812-653-5578. And we would certainly love to hear from you. Make sure now that you consider, especially around this time of year, uh, there at the Broadcasting Network, um, lots of changes being made. And you know when upgrades take place, unfortunately, upgrades always cost money. And sometimes upgrades take place, and they're not your fault when uh a system says, okay, well, this has worked for years, and now we're going to change it. And uh, so you've got to upgrade, too. So these things take place. Frank has a lot of work on him there. But uh, I encourage you to be a supporter uh, of uh, American Voice Radio. And uh, I know you listen uh, quite frequently, a number of you do. And we've got faithful, loyal audiences, and we appreciate that very much. But I encourage you. Uh, you have opportunity there on the main page of the website. And uh, we would encourage you to go there and, and to do what you can. Uh, we invite you to, to visit our church website. If you'd like to listen to some of the preaching from the Stamper Street pulpit here, uh, we have a number of our messages listed on there. All you got to do is, is uh, go to the website, www.historicbaptists.net. Now, don't spell Baptist with a B. It's a B-A-P-T-I-S-T. Historicbaptists.net. And uh, you can just uh, uh, go there and, and send a notice my way. It'll tell you how to do it. And uh, we can give you access to the archives, and you can listen to the preaching from our pulpit over the last year and a half or so. We try to upgrade as often as we can, but uh, you're welcome to do that. Find out you know, what's been going on in our neck of the woods. We will be, as a church, 10 years old, about uh, March of this year. And we're thanking the Lord for what he's done and uh, we're looking forward to what he's going to do in the future. So uh, we would encourage you to uh, check out that website and contact us as well. Now, we've been talking about the American tyranny and due process. Let me continue to say, why in the world preach you dealing with this kind of stuff? This is supposed to be a Bible preaching uh, broadcast. Well, that's exactly what we're doing, and we're trying to uh, warn you about uh, the descent of America into this tyranny. Uh, don't get your hopes up too much for Mr. Trump. Uh, we'll see about him in days to come. Did you get to vote? That's a question for you. We've been talking about the Fifth Amendment. Did you get to vote whether due process of law, by the way, that's guaranteed in the Fifth Amendment, could be abrogated in certain circumstances and declared as legal to do so? in the USA Patriot Acts? Did you get to vote on that? Was it the responsibility of your senator or congressman to step up and say that the Fifth Amendment cannot be avoided or disregarded or nullified or abrogated without permission from the people in the form of a constitutional amendment? No, friend. These things did not happen. Does that scenario appear to you to be tyranny? What has been wrought through the USA Patriot Acts in this instance is another sign, another indicator of the coming American tyranny. The USA Patriot Acts identify certain persons as losing any protections from the Fifth Amendment and other constitutional protections and rights because of who the government suspects them of being. 
There's no proof required that those people victimized by the USA Patriots Acts or Patriot Acts are indeed terrorists. Only suspicion or hunches or feelings regarding a person's potential terrorist tendencies is required. Are you paying attention to me tonight, friends? These are signs. What does this circumstance in the individual lives of future believers mean? It must mean that there has been or will be in future time a blanket or universal condemnation of Christians, of believers in Jesus Christ by the powers that be. It further means that due process of law has been done away, negated, overridden regarding the crime of being a believer in Jesus Christ. Merely to be a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ is a crime. Is not this exact situation what the USA Patriot Acts have declared as applicable to certain individuals today in 2017? These actions by any government are the actions of a tyranny. Are you listening to me? Are your eyes open? The punishment for Christians in the time of the end of the world, according to Jesus Christ, has been predetermined. Affliction and then killing. In the end of the world, that very world's inhabitants will have returned to the days of the Roman persecution of Christians merely because they're Christians. To be a believer in the end of the world will gain one hatred of all nations. Apprehension, delivering up, affliction, and murder. Indeed, friends, the times will be perilous, as the Apostle Paul prophesies in 2 Timothy 3. He speaks not of the time of the tribulation in that particular passage. No, he mentions specifically the last days, which include the days just prior to the tribulation. The days in which the whole world will hate Christians and in which the American tyranny will thrive. Take the time to read those 19 characteristics of the last day's population of the earth there in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. And you will gain a better understanding of the peril which Americans will be living under in the tyranny of their own national government. What is afflicted, as Jesus uses it in Matthew 24, 9? The word used to define afflicted, the very first word in this definition, is anguish. It also means persecution, burdened, tribulation. Jesus says that the believers in the end of the world will be delivered up to be afflicted. This means that the affliction they experience will be placed upon them, done to them, brought against them. It won't be accidental. No, affliction will be part of the express purpose of their being delivered up. The affliction will be an experience they are made to endure as part of the expression of the hatred against them. 
Does that sound like cruelty? How about barbarism? And in the passages in Mark 13 dealing with this same prophecy from Jesus, he declares that those who are delivered up will be beaten. The first word used to define beaten is scourge. Jesus was scourged by the Romans before his crucifixion. To beat in this manner is cruel. It is torture. For to scourge is to beat mercilessly, deeply, and in an extreme manner. Christians who are delivered up in the days of the end of the world will be tortured, afflicted. And part of that torture will be that they are beaten, scourged. You remember the definition of tyranny? We've talked about it several times. Do you recall the definition of barbarism? Extreme cruelty will be furnished upon believers who are delivered up to be afflicted. From the very time of their first contact with the they who deliver them up, to their handing over to the authorities, they will be subjected to cruelty, to barbarism, which Jesus called being afflicted. The affliction itself, then, is a function of the approved treatment of those who are delivered up. A tyrannical government would certainly desire and approve of such treatment for those whom it hates or considers its enemies. We know this is true if we understand anything about human history. A government which expresses itself through tyranny habituates itself to affliction, to bringing anguish, persecution, and tribulation to those it has in its custody under its power and control. It's part of the barbaric nature of tyranny. There is a word we use to describe this affliction, which is perpetrated upon the victims of tyranny. It is torture. Torture is invented and implemented in order to cause pain, cause anguish, hurt, and ultimately death. The purpose of torture is the creation of anguish, physical, emotional, and psychological anguish. Torture as a routine, accepted and practiced element and function of one's situation in the hands of his captors is standard operating procedure for tyranny. The American tyranny, partly in place in 2016, yes, even before 2016, has does, and will practice torture upon those it considers to be its enemies. The American government during the administration of George Bush Jr. and the following administration of Barry Barack Hussein Sotero Obama, I will call him the imposter, has sanctioned and practiced torture upon some of its enemies in prison such as Abu Ghraib in Iraq and Guantanamo Naval Base in Cuba. Federal lawyers in the Bush Attorney General's office advised him that torture which stopped short of organ failure should be allowable and legal. And so the U.S. government since that time has allowed the use of torture short of organ failure as a means and method of afflicting prisoners. 
Who knows when organ failure will occur or has occurred as a result of torture? Well, no one does. The ruse of organ failure is merely a cover-up for a thing we know accompanies tyranny, and that's cruelty. Take note that neither the Bush administration nor that of the usurper Obama got or even attempted to get a law through Congress that would legalize torture. Expecting that it would be an uphill battle with a significant segment of the American population to legalize torture, both these administrations merely permitted the practice of torture, ignoring the law, ignoring the Constitution, and following only the perverse legal counsel of the Attorney General. This is a standard operating principle of tyrannies. Are you paying attention? By the way, the American public apparently could not have cared less whether its government practices torture or not. Well, they certainly haven't uttered a complaint louder than a peep. This torture, manifested in many different ways, is intended to cause anguish, tribulation, and to be a burden for the one being afflicted. It is cruel barbarianism. It is a hallmark of tyranny. A government set upon a specific purpose of causing physical, emotional, and psychological trauma to those whom it has deemed its enemies. So, we will not ever be able to excuse the government of the United States or to dismiss the accusation of affliction in the form of torture from consideration as it deals with those whom it considers its enemies. In fact, you may recall that the Attorney General's office under George Bush, George Bush Jr. declared that torture of captive individual individuals is allowable when that torture is taking place outside of the United States. Such hypocrisy. The affliction known as torture endures today because certain people who are considered enemies of the United States has to be ha have that, that done against them. Let me say that again. The affliction known as torture endures today against certain people who are considered enemies of the United States. It won't be eliminated. It won't be diminished. Friends, it'll become worse, more widespread, a regular occurrence within the various arms and agencies and organs of the United States government as we move further into the time which the Bible calls the end of the world. You see, today, America is a novice tyranny. It's slowly but surely moving into what will become a full-blown tyranny, which will practice affliction upon those who are its enemies. Well, who will be its enemies? Well, Jesus declared to his disciples that ye, speaking of believers, shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. You see, friend, America, the United States, is part and will continue to be part of all nations at the end of the at the time of the end of the world. The United States of America, the tyranny which will run America's government, will hate believers in Jesus Christ 
and will practice delivering up those believers for affliction and death. You may well live to see this prophecy of Jesus Christ come to pass. Jesus tells us that after believers are delivered up, and after they are afflicted, that they're murdered. His words were, they shall kill you. And those words imply that the murderers of these believers are only and merely the final component of an already determined manner or process of treatment for them. Recall with me, if you would please, this evening, the Nazi exterminations of those they considered to be their enemies. It was, concerning the Jews at least, what the Nazi regime referred to as the final solution. That solution involved the identification, apprehension, incarceration, affliction, and finally the murder of of their Jewish victims. And so it will be in the days of the end of the world when Christians will be the victims of tyrannical governments around the world. There will be a government-approved program, a solution, which will involve those same elements, identification, apprehension, incarceration, affliction, and murder killing. This killing of Christians in the days of the end of the world, days before the onset of the tribulation, will be a manifestation of cruel barbarism. It will be the ending or final act of the desires of the American tyranny against believers in Jesus Christ. One may wonder if Americans, even though they're lost and without hope in the world, would ever sanction or allow or approve of a government acting in such a way. Well, why would they not? Are Americans special, a cut above, a more virtuous lot than other heathens in the world? Friends, godless men, whether American or Russian or Somali, always act as godless men. Certainly 150 years ago, Americans would have been considered as being more godly than they are now. But those same people living in America from 1865 to 1890 complained very little against, even supported, the systematic eradication of thousands of Native Americans from the face of the earth. Yes, the Indian Wars, so-called, were in reality an effort to identify, apprehend, incarcerate, and eliminate those whom the government of the United States considered a race of people too ignorant, too backward, too dirty, too savage, or useless to be part of the American culture. Yes, many Americans considered the Indians to be so many vermin, just as the Nazis considered the Jews. Furthermore, these people claimed and roamed on vast tracts of land which greedy Americans wanted for their own. This greed extended to the federal government and those industrial entrepreneurs who had close corporate ties to that government. The Native Americans who were not eradicated through war were starved to death or died from exposure on poorly equipped and maintained reservations and were purposely infected with smallpox and other diseases. They were not Christians, but as present-day Christians soon to feel the pressure of 
a tyrannical government, they were exterminated, killed by the thousands. Many tribes disappeared altogether, wiped out root and branch. How, in what ways might the American tyranny choose to kill, to eliminate, to produce the final solution for those Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, who find themselves delivered up for affliction and death? Well, in the past, not only in, America, in the American West of the 19th century, but in the 20th century, enemies of any particular tyranny were often starved to death. It seems likely that Christians delivered up for affliction and killing may be starved to death, especially if they're incarcerated in concentration camps, as were the Jews and other enemies of the Nazi regime. More people may be starved to death with the expenditure of fewer resources. Just keep them under lock and key and refuse them food and water, and in a few days or weeks, they're only hideous, bloated, stinking corpses. Victims of tyrannical governments in the 20th century were often shot. To shoot to death hundreds or thousands of people uses up more resources than just starving them. Guns and bullets and the many people required to do the shooting may not be a very efficient way of killing many thousands of victims. The Nazis ultimately turned to gassing their victims by the thousands. It proved to be very much more efficient than shooting them one by one. Gassing might be a method of choice by the American tyranny as it seeks to rid itself of those believers who are delivered up for affliction and killing. The Bible, God's Word, does give us a hint of one method of murdering Christians which may be employed by the American tyranny. It's not a very efficient method in terms of numbers done away in a short period of time, and it would require a fair amount of resources, although not as many as shooting. This method, however, seems to have appealed to tyrannies in the past, perhaps because of its gruesome nature, because of the shock effect. Because of the nature of this method, tyrants might tend to gravitate to its use. In Revelation 20 and verse 4, God reveals that many believers who are murdered for their faith and testimony in Jesus are beheaded. In fact, the verse implies that beheading is the only method used to murder those people during the tribulational period. Now, granted, this beheading does not occur during the time of the tribulation. I'm sorry, it does occur during the time of the tribulation. And we're not speaking of that time, but consider what the beheading of the devil's enemies, Christians apparently, is the method of choice of the Antichrist and his cohorts. For it's the only method of execution specifically named in the book of Revelation. And if I'm correct in this postulation that the American tyranny will exist prior to the beginning of the tribulation, and friends, we may see some beheading of those who are delivered up much for affliction and killing. This is the Covenanter's Call, and I apologize for having to stop there right in the middle of our point, but Lord willing, we'll continue this study next Tuesday at this same time. Again, I'd love to hear from you this week. You can write to me, Pastor Mike Hoover, 2569 North State Highway 337 in Orleans, Indiana, 47452. You can drop me an email, the Muggy on, T-H-E-M-O-G-O-L-L-O-N, 
at C-L-E-A-N-I-N-T-E-R dot net. Or give us a phone call, that number, 812-653-5578. Please remember those prayer requests and keep them in your prayers. Remember the meeting. Uh, Lord willing, take place in the middle of March up there at the Cornerstone Historic Baptist Church with Pastor Jason Burton and the people there in Union City, Indiana. Uh, We love going up there. We love those folk, and we're looking forward to it. And if you happen to be in that area, then we invite you to come. We'd love to take the opportunity to meet you. Now, there's going to be more great programming coming on this evening here on American Voice Radio. I encourage you to stay tuned and listen in. The Frank Report will be on in a little while, and we're going to have American Independence Hour coming up. Lots of good reporting on here. Be a supporter of American Voice Radio. It's a great way to spend your evening. I appreciate the folks that listen in. Thank you for being in the chat room this evening. A lot of uh, interesting conversation going on in there, and uh, we encourage you to take advantage of that the next time that you have the opportunity to be here with us on the Covenanters call. Well, folks, my time is up. I'm Yeah, there's that music. Until we meet you again on the airways, may God bless you is our prayer. and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement.
prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. And this is the American Independence Hour uh, for Tuesday, 10th day of January, year of our Lord, 2017. Give you as much of my little disclaimer as I can remember in a moment. But before I do, um, our guest tonight is Deborah Swan. She's been on the program before and... uh, She impresses me. She is a remarkable woman, and the government has gotten her. Some people got crosswise and decided it'd be fun to sue her. (laughs) And I'll bet you, so far, she's cost them at least $50,000 in trying to sue her and, in the process, caused her to take an interest in the legal system, learn quite a bit about the law, and, uh, she has most recently been stopped by the duly authorized uh, people who down here in Texas for traffic violation, and that's what we will probably be talking about this evening. I think, I think before they're done down here in Texas, we'll see what happens. But I think they will wish they had not stopped, stopped her. Hello, Deborah. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, Al. Thanks. <laughs> it's been crazy. Frank is our co-host. Frank stepping up. Frank, I'm here. Well, you sound you sound like you're uh, not necessarily enthusiastic oh, about it. A very enthusiastic. I'm here. Very enthusiastic. Hey, Frank. Uh, hey, Deborah. How you doing? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. So have you heard about my little with the newly constituted authorities again back about the 21st of December, three weeks ago or nearly that. Um, why don't you give folks an idea what happened? Well, do you want to give your disclaimer first, Al, or are you not going to give it tonight? Uh, I'll 
take a pass for right now, and I'll get to it a little later in the program. All right, yeah. Well, um, unfortunately, I got um, pulled over on December the 21st, and, you know, I hear all this talk about the driver's license and this whole area of, you know, interest that a lot of people do have these days about how, it, you know, you hear about it not being legal and the difference between commercial and private and all this stuff. And now I'm, I'm forced to have to dig into this and I'm actually seeing a whole world of insanity. I mean, it really is insane when you start digging through this mess of information that goes along with the transportation code and the driver's license. So um, I got pulled over and when I got pulled over, I got pulled over as a courtesy stop. And the police officer, you know, gets behind me, pulls his lights on, comes up to my window and tells me I have a garbage bag attached to my back right tire of my car. So um, I asked if I could get out and see to see if he was being honest. And sure enough, there was a, a trash bag attached to my tire. So I went to go, you know, remove the trash bag and the police officer did it for me, which was kind of nice. And as I'm standing there, he, you know, asked for my driver's license and, uh, my registration, so I, I was stupid. I, I didn't realize, you know, I, now since I'm learning the law of, of this world of, of driving and driving licenses, I shouldn't have done all these things, but at the time I was not aware. So I go to my car and I get my license out, and my, um, well, it's actually my Texas ID card, because my license has been expired since 2012. So I gave him my, my proof of insurance and my, life, and my ID, and he told me to, you know, stay right there. And so he goes to his, um, his patrol car, pulls it up, and he comes back and he asked me, um, well, he didn't ask me, he told me that my license was suspended. And I told him, well, that's incorrect. And he's like, well, the, the database is telling me that it's suspended, and so I can arrest you. And I'm like, well, that's not correct. When was it suspended? And so he goes back to his, to his vehicle, comes back about five minutes later, and during this time, now uh, two more police cars pull in, and uh, he comes back and he tells me that my license was suspended in 2014 and that he was going to arrest me. And then, well, actually, let me back up. Before he told me that it was suspended, he asked if I could search, he asked to search my vehicle and I told him no, I'm, I'm, I'm not giving you consent to search my vehicle. That's when he goes back, gets the information, comes back and tells me that there is a suspension for my license. So he handcuffs me, the lady cop comes over and pats me down and does a you know, pretty good pat down, whatever. And now I have three police officers all inside my car searching my vehicle, or my, excuse me, searching my car, not a vehicle. <laughs> we'll get to that later. But um, so I didn't have consent and he did it anyway. And so they arrest me, take me to jail. And um, I get, I get a very, I get strip searched, which was horrible. It wasn't just a normal strip search. It was pretty, um, it was a full blown strip search. You know what I mean? I mean, they really, um, they really came down hard on me for some reason inside the jail and uh, I was arrested and I was there till the next day and they let me out on a PR bond and so now I'm trying to fight the situation which has turned into a mess it's a total mess and then I got pulled over two days ago again that's a whole other story we can talk about that later but Frank um, Al told me that you know quite a bit about the driver's license topic is that correct? Uh, yeah yeah I uh I uh, <clears throat> drove around for 11, 11 years without a, uh, a license, and I got pulled over six times and ended up in court four times. 
So yeah, okay. I have some experience in this. So were you ever like you were rearrested and taken to the you know actually spent time in jail for not having a, a valid license? Uh, no, I never was. No. Nope. As a matter of fact, two of the times I got pulled over, one was by a uh, state trooper and one was by two sheriff's deputies, and they used their discretion to not even ticket me. Uh, but then there are four other times I was ticketed and went to court, and each time they were dismissed. Oh, that's good. So how, what was your argument? Well, now you got to remember, this was a long time ago, and I'm uh, getting older. <laughs> do you mean right. you can't what your argument was, or do you mean that the uh, police attitudes have changed since then? Well, I'll probably know. a little of both, yeah. uh, you know, but, you know, my basic, uh, it was just, my basic, uh, I, I used several different arguments like I usually do, because... You know, when you research things, you realize strong arguments from weak arguments. But weak arguments doesn't mean they don't have any validity. Right. You know, and it doesn't mean that there's no point there. It just means they're not as strong as some of the other arguments may be. And I used uh, several different arguments. One was uh, religious uh, freedom. Did you really? Yeah. And then the other one was... Uh, my main one, actually, was uh, that the traffic laws are all commercial. And yeah, that's I, yeah. I was not engaged in a regulated activity. You weren't engaged in commerce, and commerce is a regulated activity. Is that right. what you're saying right now? Yep, yep, that's it. That was your stronger argument? or your? Because that seems like what I've just now recently learned the past 48 hours. I mean, it seems to me... That that's a really really strong argument. Once you read the code and you read into the, you know, the actual transportation code and what the definitions mean, I just now came to this realization like 48 hours ago, and so I'm considering switching my argument possibly to more, the commercial argument. Well, and, and the whole thing is you don't have to switch. That that was what I'm I was saying with you know I you can use multiple arguments, you know, but just you know don't. Don't hang your hat on any one of them, and you know you just you just if it's an argument, it's an argument. And I don't know what your other argument was. What one were you using? Well, gosh, I mean, when I look at when I pick this apart, and thank God I have experience on how to pick things apart from my my uh, cases and from the Charles Dyer. So the first thing I did was I went to, to the criminal procedure to see exactly because when I, I received, let me back up. They never sent me anything so far. I've gotten nothing from you the court. Get a traffic ticket. You understand this? I didn't even get a traffic ticket. I got all I got from them when I was arrested, when I was uh, let out on my PR bond. Um, I got a piece of paper saying that I have to appear in court for my arraignment on the 27th of January. And so I, I w I've been waiting to get something in the mail, like a complaint or some sort of charge or, you know, whatever, and I haven't gotten anything. So I get online myself and I go to my county and I pull up my, you know, my, my case and I find it in there and I look at the complaint. And the complaint and the information sheet are completely just, I mean, they look so elementary done. They're not done correctly. The, um, the police officers. It's just a form. And they have three, yeah. at least three different possible offenses that they list, and they don't say which one or two or three of them are valid. 
Well, I can tell you from exper- my experiences anyway that uh, uh, I have challenged the uh, validity of the instrument, and they right. don't they don't buy that argument real well because they're what they say is well basically you're here and that's all this is is to give you the rudimentary here's what it is and you're here so it was good enough and that's what they did with me so you know i tried that too because you look at it and go this thing's filled out by you know they might as well use crayons here i mean this is you know a joke but the the judges don't care okay then that's the main thing now my advice is to use every argument start at the beginning and and just start tearing it apart from the very beginning why did you pull me over why did you ask me for a driver license do I, you know, I mean, okay, so did you have any probable cause that I didn't have a license? You know, and, and they're going to blow by all this, but the main thing is to to just make every argument we can. Uh, challenge the jurisdiction. The thing about the, um, you know, when you said, no, you can't uh, search my car, what I found out was, and I'm not saying this is right, I'm just saying this is what they say, and what they say in that case, at least around here, what they've said is, as long as you're not arrested, they have to have consent to search your car. Once you are under arrest, your car is now under impound. And what they do is what they call an inventory search. Okay? And they'll, they'll just let it by. So, That's correct. Yeah. You know, just, to, <laughs> just to let you know, there's some things that don't seem right. And they're probably not right, but they have found ways to justify what they do. Uh, and in strict legal terms, okay, I guess if you're under arrest and the car is impounded, you know, you really kind of do want an inventory. And, of course, they're using the inventory search as a pretext, pretext. you know. But, you know, I mean, unless they found something illegal that they were charging you for, it's really not going to be an issue that you're going to be able to have any traction with. Well, when I pull up the te- when I pull up the Texas law, because I, I I pick it all apart. I go from when I had when I got my car out the next day after I got out of jail. I look at the um, the towing report page, and the police officer um, he he didn't even put down. He didn't fill out half the thing. There were a lot of blanks left there, and he put down that my car was um, impounded due to a stolen vehicle recovery. So he didn't even put down the correct reason why my, t- my car was impounded. He's letting, leading people to believe that it was stolen and he recovered it and he, put it, he, t- he took it to the impound, which is completely false. And then with, when it comes to, when I look, started looking into the law for Texas anyway, it says that during an arrest, if there is, a, if there is an arrest, which there was, a legal inventory search for Texas is not to where they can go through the entire car and go through everything. All they're supposed to do is look in the window, and if they see something of value, they write it down. And this is this type of um, procedure is only good for a real um, towing when you're when there's a real crime that's been committed and there's a real reason to impound the vehicle for possibly an investigation. That's when they're supposed to. Um, that's when they can do the inventory search, and they, or the, that's when they can go into the whole car and pull it apart and look through everything. But when well, it's just for it, now you know why he put down that he was recovering stolen property. Right, because right, they didn't find anything. Correct. 
So, um, but the inventory. Well, no, no. I mean, what I'm saying is why he did that is to justify the whole car search because, see, that is a hey, if you're recovering a stolen car, it is it's reasonable to expect them to search the whole car, you know, open the trunk, everything, you know. I mean, this car has been stolen. We're recovering it. Anything could be in here. Who knows what you know? Car thieves will have in the car. That I, that's why my personal, what I've heard so far, why I believe he lied on that and said that he was recovering stolen property was to justify their whole car search rather than just a visual inventory through the windows. Well, see, when I called the actual, the person who towed my vehicle was a friend of mine. His name is Bud. And uh, he's, he's part of this as well because I, I called him and asked him why does the inventory tow uh, receipt say that it was a stolen heat and he told me he put that on there he, that he I forgot about that he's my friend who towed the car he said that he put it on there just because they have to no I'm sorry he said the people who own the towing place that's right that's what they said he said the the towing facility put that code on there just because so I'm sorry I got my my um, memory got kind of confused there for a minute but still though the uh, the police the police report on the tow where, where you see where he wrote down all the inventory that was in my vehicle he did not fill in the part that says um, what was there any evidence found in the in the car. He didn't fill that out. He just left it blank. And so I'm assuming that's because you have to have have to have a reason, to, a probable cause, like you said, to search a vehicle. You just can't search it for no reason. And there was no probable cause. But I, I'm assuming that he thought he would find something in my car. And since I told him no, you can't search, he went ahead and did it anyway. But they're only supposed to search like the, like I said for inventory. They look in the windows. They write it down. Anything of value. And that's it. They're not supposed to go through the entire car. Well, it's, so, it may be time to, uh, you know, get the uh, whatever department that was, get their policy and yeah. find out where they stand on Texas law. And if he violated Texas law and it's not, you know, in the policy that they're allowed to violate Texas law, uh, you might want to consider suing him personally. Well, it goes even worse. I mean, then then I find out that about the a whole pullover. I'm not sure if it's like this in Oregon, but in Texas we have a database. Well, we uh, the law enforcement does. It's a database that the Texas Department of Public Safety, the Texas Department of Insurance, the Texas Department of Motor Vehicles, and what was the other one? There's four of them. The Texas Department of uh, the Texas Department of I think licensing or no, I'm sorry, the Texas Department of Insurance. These four main departments put together a database and every law enforcement agency has access to it. So when they pull you over and they, they pull your plate up, they can see if you have insurance right then and there. I mean, it tells them right there on the record if you're insured or if you're not insured. Well, so they, this whole thing and they run your plate long before they ever pull you over, which they're, they're not supposed to, but they do. Yeah, when they when it tells them if you have insurance or not. And so I don't know if you've uh, if you've considered or started or whatever uh, getting the uh, the actual logs between the officer and the dispatch. What information was passed? What information was passed back and forth between them? At what How times? Do I get that? Uh, well, you know, you have a, uh, I mean, it's a it's a regular court case, and you have discovery, and you you know, you just. Uh, send a discovery request to the uh, either the officer, I guess it would be the officer in this case, uh, and, and say these are the things I want, like you would in any other 
discovery case, and then they can say, well, you know, wait a minute, we're not there yet, you, know, you haven't even been arraigned yet, and da 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 But see, it's that kind of stuff that makes them think, gee, you know, maybe we don't even want to arraign this one. You know, maybe right. it's just time for you to go. Uh, and then that's time to sue them for, you know, to recover the costs of what it was to recover your vehicle. Yeah. This was an unlawful arrest. I mean, this whole thing was unlawful. The police officer lied to me. I mean, when he told me that my license was suspended, it's not suspended. There's a difference between expired, suspended, revoked, and what's the other one? Um, suspended, invalid. invalid. Yes, correct. Invalid and suspended in Texas looks like they're about the same. Expired just means it's expired. And when I, I let my license expire because I didn't want to have another one. <laughs> so back in 2012, when I realized, when I started learning about, we have what's called surcharges in Texas. Are you familiar with surcharges? Do you have that in Oregon? It's where the, a whole other department, the DPS, can actually tag surcharges against you for having any kind of uh, traffic violation. Do you have that in Oregon? No, I don't think so. This is in addition to original fines. This, this is, is where they come back a year or two after they find you in the first place, and then they attach surcharges. Yeah, on your license. And you've got to pay surcharges also. It's crazy. It's like double jeopardy. It's completely not, I mean, it's completely against due process. I mean, the whole thing is just a racket. I'm talking a full-blown racket. So when I realized, when I got this letter in 2012, my license expired in July of 2012. I did not get a, um, I got a letter in August of 2012 letting me know if I don't pay, what was it, if I don't show proof of my, um, what was it again, I, I'm trying to remember. See, I got pulled over in 2011, not for anything I did wrong. I didn't have proof of my insurance at that time in the car, but I had insurance, but I didn't have my little card in my car with me. So I got a ticket for not having proof of my insurance, and I got a ticket for not having a front license plate. And this is where the whole thing started in my world of this driver's license problem. So I, a year passes, I didn't pay the ticket, I was stupid because I didn't live in the area. So a year passes, then I go back to that same area a year later, and the same police officer that pulled me over a year before pulled me over again. Now, now there's a warrant for my arrest, so they did take me to jail. I paid $1,300, bonded myself out, and I made the choice not to go back into court to show proof of my, my insurance only because I didn't live in that area. So I thought everything was over. I thought, you know, I paid my fine, did my time, and I decided it was done. Well, then now 2012, I get a, a letter in my mailbox letting me know that um, if I do not take care of these, um, now they put surcharges on those two tickets when I had already went to jail and already paid for them. They tried, they, you know, they put these, or they gave me a warning about putting a surcharge against me if I don't pay them by the end of December of 2012. Well, I didn't pay them because I didn't have my license expired. So I never got another license. So that's where I'm at today. So my license was never suspended for anything I did wrong. But these suspension warnings came after my license had already been expired. Yeah, so but they don't, they don't care. It's probably, you know, I mean, you could call DMV and get it verified, but it probably shows there as suspended. That's what they do. It's like these, sur listen, it's like these surcharges. They don't care. Okay. If you ever had a license, if they can find anywhere in their database that you ever had a license and there's ever any money they want from you that you don't pay them, they will throw a suspension on that license. Well, how can they suspend a license after it's expired? That, okay. Uh, let, me, well, let me tell you how. I was driving around. <laughs> I had no license for I don't know how many years, probably six, seven years at that point. And... Uh, 
I got pulled over and my license was, they said it was suspended. And it's like, well, no, uh, you know, okay, fine, write me the ticket, let's you know, go to court. So we go to court and find out. Well, I had contacted DMV, and the reason was uh, I let my, actually, I didn't let my uh, license expire. I cut it in half and sent it back to them with a uh, with a letter telling them why I didn't want it anymore. That's which, smart. Which, I should do that. That's smart. Which was basically... <laughs> the same reason that you're finding out is, is commerce, because I, I just told them in this letter that, look, I'm not engaged in this activity. I don't really require this license because I'm not I'm not doing that. I'm not intending to do that. And so, you know, here, take it back. I was mistaken. That's smart. Well, like it that. didn't work, though. It didn't, they don't they don't care. Uh, I can cut the card in half and send them all the letters I want. It's still on their database. Uh, and that suspension, they 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 took it off though, and and just left it as uh, uh, what do you call it, expired. And I forget how I did that uh, because it really, the mine was really a mistake, uh, so they say. But I have a suspicion that they take everything and make it suspended all expired, all invalid, all everything, that they just make it, they just put it suspended, and that's what you're going to deal with until you, you know, really you're saying it. that, wait a second, let me see if I understand this, you're saying that they might be using the term suspended as a, as a blanket catch description yeah. for everything that's not currently valid. Now, I was told by the judge that, okay, listen, they're not doing, they didn't, because I said, how can they suspend my license when I don't even have one? Good point, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, well, they're not suspending your license. They are suspending your ability to get a license. Right, that's exactly right. That's what they're, they're, they're using the word uneligible. I'm non-eligible okay, to renew my license. They're using the word suspended, the way you're describing this, in a way other than the code says there's four varieties, four conditions exactly. where the license is expired, suspended, right. invalid, one more. Revoked. 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 And instead, they're using suspended with a different definition than the word suspended as one of those four classifications of a license. And that's nope. not legal because there's four different statutes. In Texas, anyway, we have four separate statutes for each, um, like Al just pointed out, the four different kinds of um, status or licenses, and we have four statutes. So, and when I pull up my actual Texas driving record, I just did again today, it says not suspended, it says not eligible. So I'm not eligible to renew my license until, and when I look at the stipulations, <laughs> indefinitely. Right, but I don't want, I'm like, I'm fine with that. I'm cool with that. I don't want the license. Thanks for letting me know I'm not eligible, but that's me. I don't want it. So you can keep the license, you know. That's my argument, but um, I'm just being silly right now. But <laughs> it's still there for me to get my license back. That means back. hell freezes over. Oh, Definitely you're suspended until hell freezes over. Well, well now, wait a minute. You can use this ineligible thing maybe to your benefit because it's yeah. like, look, if I'm ineligible, you're saying I cannot have a driver license, so you are telling me if I want to go to the store and buy food to live, I'm not allowed because I don't have a driver license, yet you won't let me have a driver license. So what you're doing is requiring the impossible from me, which is not allowed under the law. Well, they're I mean, saying that I have to do this. To get my license back, I have to do the Texas Department of, um, what is it called? It's, a, it's for these surcharges. They're saying that I owe three surcharges 
from when I got pulled over back in 2011. But what's funny about that is I just learned today that when that police officer pulled me over or whoever else out there is from Texas is listening, when they pull you over, they already know if you have, if you have insurance. And I'm sure a lot of people have gotten a ticket for not having proof of their insurance in their car when they get pulled over. But the police officer, the Texas Department of Public Safety, every department in Texas, they all have access to the same exact database. It's like a, a massive, you know, electronic database that the cops are required, but I also found the statute, saying that, they're, that police officers are required to check and verify within the database. It's called Safe, it's called Texas, what's it called again? Texas. Fix um, sure. Text, Texas Shore, yeah, like Shore, like they're Shore. We have, we have S-U-R-E. Yeah, Shore, S-U-R-E. And so they're required to, to verify um, when they pull someone over. And so it tells you right there. So that police officer knew at that time that I was, I was uh, legally insured. And he gave me a ticket anyway. So the whole thing is completely fraud on the part of the of the police officer yeah, and the Texas Department of Public Safety because they know they have the access to this database. Because the I, I talked to the Texas Department of Insurance today, and this woman was really really helpful. She explained to me how it works on a weekly basis in Texas. Every insurance um, auto insurance company gives a weekly report directly to uh, Texas Shore. And then they have to update their records, and then they update the records then through the Texas Department of Public Safety. So all and the report lists who is and who isn't insured, who's been naughty and who's been nice. We've got the texture of Santa Claus. However, you need to go and check the statute, because when they develop this great system where the cops all know who's insured and who's not without asking anybody except their computer... Did the Texas legislature actually remove the requirement from the statute for a holder of a driver license to have an insurance card proof of insurance in the vehicle? Because well, I don't think they did, because they didn't remove it here in Oregon. And no, they, they did. It says, it says once, it says in a, it's in a number 83 of the Texas legislature, it says that when a police officer... When there's verification that the driver does is insured, that the police officer is not NOT is not then supposed to issue a citation for not having insurance. Well, that's, see, that's, what, that's what it says. So. Now, now, when was this? Is, uh, can you go back and sue that cop? Well, that's what I'm talking about. That's a good point. I just now came to this all this information I've just now learned because, like I said, I've had to dig into this now because I'm forced to because I'm actually facing 180 days in jail. And uh, they've actually put a, the, the police officer and the prosecutor have my, my statute under a whole different class, class B misdemeanor. The class B misdemeanor is jail time and up to a $5,000 fine. So they're actually saying that I have two suspensions on my record. And the one that they have me for the class B misdemeanor says that I have been previously arrested for suspended of license under the influence of alcohol. And that's a complete, that's completely a lie. Nowhere on my record have I ever had a DWI. I've never had a suspended license and drove at the same time under the influence of alcohol. And so they're really trying to push me into this, you know, they're trying to get me to go to jail. <laughs> so it's, well, it's they're more likely so, trying to get some money out of you and take a plea. Well, I dug into this, and that's when I found the Texas Shore. And it, like you said, if I can go back and find out, well, this Texas Shore started in 2009. I got that first. Okay, now here's an important point. Yeah. Texas Shore. Texas Shore or Texture, I'm not sure what the name of it is, but this insurance database, this was available two years before you were yep. allegedly arrested in 2011. Isn't that so? That is correct. Yep. 
then they should have known at that time that yep. they had they had reason to know the database was available. They had reason to know that you had insurance, even though they they claimed you didn't. If I understand correctly, and then subsequently claimed to suspend your license based on no insurance. Am I understanding that correctly or not? That's correct, yeah. And the whole deal here is that, that not just the police officer, the Texas Department of Public Safety, they know. And they're the ones that put these surcharges and they tag you with all this, you know, these um, these fees and stuff. And they, they're the ones that withdraw. They're the ones that have the power to take your license away from you or suspend it or whatever, according to them, you know, accusing you of not having insurance. When they know the whole time, they can take their fingers and punch in the keyboard and look up your license and look up your history of insurance. And they know right there that you have insurance. So this whole thing is a huge racket. I don't think a lot of people are, are under the awareness that these police officers know when they come to your car. They already know if you have life, if you have insurance or not. They they so know. The that question you do. becomes: If you don't have your insurance card, they will take that as evidence, even though they've looked at the database and the database tells them, yeah, you've got insurance. If you don't produce the insurance card, they're going to proceed based on the missing insurance card to give you a ticket. Is that true or false? <laughs> That's true. And what's even crazier, when you go to the Texas Shore website, the whole marketing on this, this uh, database was to stop having the reason to have the insurance cards because of so much fraud that's been going on. People make their own insurance card, and I guess, you know, they're getting away with not being really insured when they're, they have these fraudulent insurance cards. So for the police officers and the Texas Department of Public Safety to try to use that as the reason to, to you know, penalize you for not having the card is completely contradicting from the website on their, their mission statement on why they put this, this database well, together. Well, and, and it does, you know, regardless of what the website says, if that statute has been removed, you know, repealed or revoked or whatever they call it in Texas, if the legislature has gotten rid of the requirement in the statute, the statutory requirement for you to carry an insurance card, then, you know, if they if that was the case at the time, uh, I would say that officer violated the law and therefore policy of the department. And say that texture, the other thing about it is this. Texture yeah. or Texas Shore, whichever one it is, it's not just there to make sure whether you do or you do not have insurance. And in, in, in order to prevent you from producing little phony insurance cards that might deceive the cop. It's also there to prevent the cop from stopping you for having no insurance because he knows you do. And right, they're, they're, and they know sure, who doesn't. So should make sure you have insurance. It should also make sure that the cop doesn't arrest you for not having insurance. Exactly. Well, right, exactly. You know, traditionally what they do is if you didn't produce the insurance card, they'd give you a ticket and you had to go to court and produce evidence of your insurance, and then they'd dismiss the charges against you. Now, because texture is there, they not only know whether you do or don't have insurance, the cop, because he knows he, he shouldn't be writing a ticket when, when you do have insurance, even if you don't have the card with you. We shouldn't even really ask you unless you don't have insurance. If, if it comes up that this is an uninsured driver, then go up to the window and scrutinize and let me see your, your proof of your insurance. And then, you know, he'd be able to utilize the law better to people who don't have well, insurance. But which which, the whole which thing brings up another little point here. Earlier you were talking, and Frank, you said that you're not under, you're, you're not under, when you're under arrest, once you're under arrest, they don't need your permission to, to uh, 
for a uh, search the vehicle. Well, they call it an inventory search because your okay, car is now that. under impairment. But it also implies they asked her, can we have permission to uh, search your vehicle? Yeah, they asked. Deborah said no. It implies right. that at, the, at least up until the time that they asked her for permission, she was not under arrest. Well, I'm under that. What they I mean, call if she's under arrest, yeah. once she's under arrest, they can search the vehicle. They, yeah. The implication is that if they're asking for permission to search the vehicle, she is not under arrest at that time. Right. What if? When did they give you notice you were under arrest? When they went to, when I was standing out there after the police officer came up, and the police officer told me he was going to go verify. Because I asked him, I'm like, why does it say suspended? My my license can't be suspended. And he said it's, it was suspended in 2014. I'm like, well, that's not correct. And so he goes, he's like, just stay right here. Let me go check. Well, when he goes back in his police car, now the, the female officer and, and another guy pull up. And the female officer, she's standing next to me. And I knew what was fixing to happen. I, I just know when a, when a female officer comes on the scene, that's usually they're fixing to arrest you if you're a girl. So then the police officer comes back and says, um, you know, the, your license expired in 2000 or suspended in 2014 and you're under arrest. And then he said, then he starts walking. He says, I'm searching your vehicle. And I said, you're not allowed to search my vehicle. This is after I he already asked the first time if he could have consent. I said, no consent. Then he, you know, then he arrests me. Then he says, he's searching my vehicle. And I said, you're not allowed to search my vehicle. He's like, well, we're searching it anyway. And this is all on the video, hopefully, if I can get it. And then um, he says, when he's doing it, just like Al said, he's like, I'm, I'm doing an inventory search. And I, then, of course, you know, that's just an excuse they use to get into your car. And but if, if, you, if you got the statute there that shows, oh, no, you can look in the windows and make a, you know, it's only on the inventory searches if, if the inventory search is only basically visible valuables. Because theoretically, when your car is impounded, it should be locked, towed away to a secure location and sit there until, you know, its disposition is determined. That's a whole other deal, because this, this was, then I find out when I look into the Texas law, I mean, there's so many laws out there that are just amazing that really help us, but most people, I guess, don't know it. But I found out for towing situations, they can only impound your car, the police can, when there's been a crime committed and or if your car is in an area on that street that is not safe, like if you're pulled over, it's going to stop traffic. But my car, I, when I pulled in, I pulled into a Papa Chicken, Popeye's Chicken parking space. So I was legally parked. There was no, my car was not stopping traffic. We're off the road. And then I find out through the, the statute in Texas that if, if there's any other arrangements that can be made, the individual can have someone else come pick the car up. Again, though, there was no reason to because mine was sitting in a legal parking space. Well, now, now. If Popeye's Chicken wants to, you know, tow my car, then they could do well, that. Well, you but see, now, there, there is something that I wanted to bring up because this is how that goes. Again, I've seen this happen to people that do exactly the same thing. You know, I mean, they they were getting pulled over and they figured, oh, you know, I'm not just going to pull over on the side of the road here. I'm going to find a place, and they pull in there, and they, you know, they're not in the way, they're not taking up anything, they're legally parked, all this thing. What the police do is they go in, talk to the manager, and the manager says, yeah, tow it, it, it should, you know. Because what the officer is says is, this one's going to jail, this car is going to be here, you know, for at least 24 hours, so, uh, you know, the, can we tow it? And yeah, yeah, go ahead. And then, you know, you need to look that up with the tow company and see uh, who actually did this. Was it Popeye's Chicken or was, no, it, was it the police? police? The police lied to me because right then and there, because I asked, I asked him, I'm like, can hey, my friend, because I know a tow truck guy that works the streets out there. 
And I said, well, can I can I request my own tow? And he's like, he said, no, you cannot. And he, so he lied right there. The, the, the Texas law says, and the police can only impound your car if there's been a crime committed, like, and it's going it's going to be part of an investigation. And that's so that doesn't give any legal rights. This is this is considered a non-consent tow because it was against my consent. There was no reason for the police to do it. They've impa- they did a police impound, and then the, the tow truck. My friend looks like he put some BS, you know, reason for the tow to help because that's how I guess they collect their money too. They have to have. They can't put something down. I'm not sure why he put that code down. It doesn't make sense to me. He says yeah, that it really that, doesn't make sense because they allege that the vehicle was stolen. Yeah. Now this is so a the, serious allegation. Yeah, it's not just a well, it park, parking in, in in Popeye's parking lot, right? Which might be the truth of the matter. They allege this was a stolen vehicle. Somebody's got to be pretty aggressive, creative, something. You wouldn't think they would simply say, "Why didn't they say this was a vehicle that was used to get away from the grassy knoll when Kennedy was shot?" <laughs> if you catch my drift, and you know this is an outrageous claim. It was just. Why did somebody make such an outrageous claim? Well, that doesn't stop there. Then when I get to jail, they make me do, they do a cavity search on me that's not even, um, without hands, of course, but still, though, I mean, then I, I look into the, the rules and procedures for a misdemeanor class. This is really supposed to be a class B misdemeanor, a traffic, this is like a, a fine, and they're supposed, according to the Texas uh, policies on strip searching, for there's no strip searching supposed to happen for misdemeanors. And when I got to the jail... Um, when they opened the door, I had two lady officers and, and two other, you know, jail people. And then the guy who arrested, the police officer who arrested me standing right there, two ladies had rubber gloves on. I immediately, they tell me to put my hands on the wall. And it was just, it was crazy. They did strip search right away, right when I walked in there, took me to a laundry room, uh, made me do all this stuff, you know, and uh, it was just crazy. Well, Deborah, I, I, you know, I, I hate to say this because I would like to do it myself, but I'd rather, you know, not be in a situation to do it. But this it sounds crazy. like a perfect opportunity for a counterclaim. Yeah. Yeah, that's what. I, yeah, that's exactly what I've been trying. I mean, to, it like, sounds just. I mean, you just rattled off like four or five different violations here. There's a lot. There's a lot. You know, and we haven't even. We just got you into jail. <laughs> and we've had four or five already. <laughs> Welcome to our world. Snap, snap. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think you've got a real strong counterclaim here. I, I really honestly do. And, I, you know, I, if for one thing, I mean, I think you could actually sue these people and, you know, and, and make them settle. What? Where do I start? I mean, that's I'm, I'm confused. I've got a very certain. I need to, I need to get back to my Snook case because I, I I'm kind of starting to wonder if Snook could possibly behind be behind some of this because I got pulled over again two days or day was it last night? It was yesterday. I got pulled over. Well, he threatened he threatened to do this to you. I mean, you know, he he brags about all his connections in the FBI and other places. So you know, yeah, I mean. So. See, sure. I'm pretty sure I've got they've got because right now my my his my case with him is it's at a really great point. And I have until the seventh to respond to the um, appeal that they put in. They, they put their appeal brief in, so it's my time to respond. And all of a sudden, I had this heavy police presence around me, and my, I almost got arrested last night. For but I wasn't driving the car, thank God. But we got pulled over. I got pulled over in my neighborhood again. My friend Chris was driving. He was actually out on bond for nothing related to me, but they said his 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 bond was revoked, which it wasn't because I've already checked it today. What happened there is, I believe, the police officer, uh, I don't know if they've got my phone, my um, the Android phone, you know, where they can track where you're at. It's almost like they know when I leave my house. 
Well, and, you know, uh, the stingray usage of, uh, you know, the police departments might be another thing you want to uh, put in your discovery. Because, uh, you know, uh, from what I've been reading, uh, to, you know, lawfully, you know, in a way that you can't, you know, you do it by the rules, that it's hard to say no for any reasons. Ask for any cell phone information on tracking using the Stingray or other systems uh, that they use. And what they do, what I've been reading, is uh, not only the FBI but the company, because all the local police forces get these Stingray things through the FBI, and they have to sign a uh, paper that says that they will not disclose their usage and... If that usage is going to be compromised in a court proceeding, to let the person go. What is it? Tell so you're saying if you can produce evidence that Stingray Ray was... No, if you can ask... Perhaps even if you ask questions about Stingray, right. they might be inclined to drop the case. Right, because you can't get information on it unless they give it to you. Tell me what Stingray is. I have no idea what you're talking Stingray about. Stingray is a like cell tower uh, simulator, basically, that they, comes in like a, a little briefcase sort of thing, and the police carry it around, and what they do is they open up their thing, turn it on, and what it does is it simulates a cell tower, which means all the cell traffic within the area that they can, uh, you know, their range, goes through their device and then bounce. it's like a relay it goes through them and then to the real cell tower so you can actually connect your calls but it goes through them and they can now get all the information on your phone they can listen what? in on your conversation they can get all your text messages all your data your whole uh your whole phone book list off of it everything Wow, when did this when did this come out recently? Oh, they've been doing it for about five years now, but it's oh, just okay. it's just come out in the last two or three, and they are right. they are really trying to still to this day, even though it's like an open secret. Everybody is trying to cover it up, and not mention it, and they even get the word that you know, hey, if you know if somebody's really pushing in court, you know, through discovery, through legal means, I want this information. And you got to give it to me. It, it is, it, you know, it's relevant to my case. I have to have it. You've got to give it to me. Let them go. That's their instructions. Let them go rather than disclose exactly how this thing works because they don't want anybody to know, you know, how it exactly works because they say, oh, well, the bad guys will defeat it then. But really, they just don't want the general population knowing, and they do not want it on the record that this is what they're doing. Because, see, I can get out here with my tinfoil hat and tell everybody about Stingray, and there's going to be a big population that says, he's just nuts, he's crazy, that's insane, that can't be happening, that could never happen here, and all this other stuff. And, you know, it just doesn't have an air of reality to it until if I could produce court documents to say, oh, yeah, well, look at this right here. Then people would say, oh, wait a minute, and they, they, are, they are doing everything in their power not to let that happen. Well, let me ask you this about Stingray. I can understand that they've got a briefcase in their car that's got the box inside, the Stingray apparatus is inside that briefcase, inside the box, whatever it is. But does the Stingray actually follow your vehicle around town, or does it only have a limited range of, who knows, a 1,000 yards? And wherever they happen to be, if you're in the radius of that Stingray, yeah, they can download your information, but can they follow you or well, just 
they got your information. Yeah, they've got a range of whatever a cell tower has, you know, and then, and yeah, if you get out of their range, then you're going to drop off. But while you're in their range, like say I park a, a block away from your house, and I decide I'm going to I am going to watch you, and uh, so it comes out. Oh, I'm going here. All right, or I can see because all these uh, all these mobile devices have GPS in them. Mm-hmm. And they just can see, oh, she's on the move. And they can see, okay, you're moving this way. So what do I do? I don't sit there and wait for you to get out of range. I go the way you're going. I yeah. stay within range. And I, you know, and now I, I got everything. And, and they don't even really need, unless they really are going to follow you and, and do that. But, I mean, they can download all the info. Whatever you have saved on your phone... They can download, including calls you've made, your call history, uh, you know, all of it, whatever is on your phone. And they're doing this without a warrant. Yep. Does, is yeah. there an expectation of privacy? <laughs> no, yeah, they, or, no, you know, yeah. they, they, this, is, see, this, is, this is why, this is another reason why they do not want this in court. Because they realize somewhere along the line, some court, some judge is going to say, wait a minute. You got to have a warrant for this. You can't do this, you know. And they don't want that. This is a real good game for them. We and need I, to find out who who. If you follow the money trail or follow the paper trail, I'm going to look into this for sure. I'm not saying that it necessarily applies to my case, but I do. I do know that the technology is there. But it's you know because I've actually caught my ex, my ex boyfriend cheating on me by using this kind of you know technology. But when you stop and think about <laughs> the police or the law enforcement using it against you, it's kind of for some reason I even like. It's just hard to believe that they would do that. You know what I'm saying? Even though I know it's there and they're there, they can do it. I could do it to my boy ex-boyfriend. Well, they so. would have to have some some motivation to do it. And, well, that's and, one thing. Yeah. And yeah. Perhaps it is it is your other uh, your other lawsuit, and uh, perhaps yeah. it's something else. Who knows? You know, uh, I, I I imagine you'd become quite a thorn in their side. Well, uh, yeah. well, I know the FBI works with uh, Ed Snook, and uh, not well, not works with him, but I know he's got some open door with the FBI out in uh, Oklahoma. So I could see possibly, um, you know, I'm not saying that I'm some real important person, but yeah, I have become a thorn in a couple people's sides, and uh, it was just really strange how I got pulled over just to, like yesterday, day before yesterday. Well, and, uh, and here's another thing: when you ask for just just asking for information about the stingray, they won't tell you. Okay. No, they won't tell you. They they won't tell you whether you play smart or stupid. They they'll just say we're not. You know, I can't say anything about that. They won't talk about it. And the only way you'll get anywhere is with legal process. I mean, you've got to get a judge to stamp this thing and say no. You're going to have to give her the information. Yeah, I'm going I'm to do research first before I start uh, talking to anyone. I want to find out who manufactures this device. Who, the, which, who, has, who has been, um, how they got the law to release it to police stations, to police officers across the country. If it's actually in my area first, if, if Montgomery County was actually, you know, there's some sort of, you know, contract, some government contract to sell these devices to law enforcement or whatever. I've got to look, you know, See, that, early into That's the stuff that you're not going to be able to find by doing any kind of search on your own. This is kind of information that they 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 hold real close and it, you know you're gonna have to get you're gonna have to get some sort of legal process to compel them 
to give it to me. Like, wouldn't this be like the same kind of, because we also hear about, you know, we all, in our area, we have a lot of government um, military vehicles that have been donated and given to our police force. We have like um, the um, the riot, the tanks. I mean, we literally have tanks in Montgomery County. They're parked at some police stations. So wouldn't there be some sort of government, possibly a government record somewhere? Um, oh yeah, but but whether whether you get to see it or not is another is another story because see tanks you know they either have one or they don't I mean you, it's tough to hide a tank but these these boxes that they have they really don't want anybody knowing they are doing this and they do not want any paper trail in court right. And they are they are going out of their way to protect it. Now, one thing you can do is you can go online and put in the you know uh, the search term stingray, and you will get a lot of information of what people have, you know, already found out through you know uh, legal processes and being uh, you know uh, charged with different various crimes where the police used this device in their case and what they did, and then the police said, oh well, never mind, uh, you know. It's only manslaughter. You can go, you know, sort of thing, and um, you know, because they don't want to give up the information that badly. So that would be like FBI. I could see we're possibly like some high-level crimes for the FBI, or you know, I don't like the FBI, but there are bad people out there that need investigations. So to the common person like myself, who hasn't, really, I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, it's, it just seems like such an invasion of privacy. Well, yeah, but the, the minute we start saying that, well, you know, there's bad people out there that don't deserve rights, that's the second where you don't have any rights either. Well, they have, well, they deserve rights, but they would have, I'm sure there's some sort of legal process if there's, a, you know, um, if there's a, a high-level criminal, you know, whatever that happens in life, too, and they have to go get a certain warrant from the judge, and there's still a legal process to use that kind of technology against or to do surveillance against, you know, Let me argue that they don't know for sure if someone is a high-level criminal, and therefore they need to use this as part of their investigation to find out whether they should go further. Be really they're, not, they're not just using this on people that they has already, you know, shot and killed 17 people and held up seven banks and the rest of that sort of thing. They're using this on people they think might have done something, and so it becomes an investigative tool rather than... Well, that it that would be in a perfect, evidence in a perfect you committed the crime. They, it's, it's an event. Did you commit? Did you commit a crime? Well, in a perfect world, we could hope that that would be the way it is, but that's not the way it is, because every little jerkwater county out there is getting these stingrays, and what yeah. they've got Al Capone in every little jerkwater, you know, backwater town in America. I don't think so. These cops are out there. You know, these, these cops have been found eavesdropping on like. Deborah mentioned on their on their ex girlfriends on, on their wives on you know they're using these they're inappropriately using these things because it's a secret and they never get a warrant on a bad guy or a good guy so they just use them when they want it's at their discretion at this point and this is one of the big reasons they do not why they will let somebody go for serious crimes rather than disclose any information about their stingray use. The reason why I think that possibly, I'm not saying they're using it on me, but the reason why I, I you know, at first I thought the first traffic stop was just, you know, and it was my bad luck or whatever, but now, me. What did you ask me, Al? What did you ask? No, I just said it was a fluke. But, you know, oh, the, fluke. The plastic oh, okay. bag on your, uh, you know, on your tire, you know. That's strange, but anyhow, but then when I got pulled over again just recently, two days ago, whatever, um, the lady, when she came up to the window, 
she could tell she was kind of shocked that I wasn't driving. And so she assumed, I guess, I was driving. And she was, you could tell she was shocked. And my friend who was driving, he's like 345 pounds, 6'4". He's a really big guy. And, uh, and right away, she, um, she, had, she, wanted, she let me know right away when she walked up that my, my, well, she told me my registration was out. And I said, and that's because she, and it was just a cover. And I said, well, no, I'm sorry, ma'am, it's not out. I just got my registration and my inspection done. Here's the proof of it. And I handed her my paperwork. And then she's like, okay, we'll stay right here. And right before she walked away, I asked her, I said, well, ma'am, don't you guys have access to the, to the Texas shore and your vehicle? And you can tell when someone has, when their registration or their insurance is not valid. She's like, yes, we do. But sometimes the computers go down. And so right there, I knew she just confirmed to me because I wanted to, you know, make sure that she has access to it. But she, and she does. And so that just showed me right there that this whole registration not being valid, it was a lie. And so that shows me she just pulled us over for, to hoping that I was in the driver's seat is what I think. And then when, when I wasn't in the driver's seat, she, she checked my friend out. He, he was out on bond for something not related to me. So they ended up arresting him, saying that his, um, that his bond was revoked. And the officer, she, she asked to search my vehicle again. I told her no. She did anyway. I got this all on record also. And uh, then she tells me to go ahead and drive. She let me drive home, so she didn't arrest me. And so the reason why I think she didn't arrest me is because they're trying to get me to where um, I'm in the driver's seat. Well, I guess, she, I'm sorry, she couldn't arrest me because I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't driving. So the reason why she let me drive my car home from that, that point is to, you know, hoping that I will eventually leave my house again and start driving, and then, so then they can hopefully come and arrest me. Because once they arrest me this next time, if they do, driving my car, then they'll get me for, I'll be in jail through the court date on the 25th. And then I'll, I'll probably go to jail for 180 days. <laughs> so that's what I believe possibly is being fabricated around me right now. Through, um, I'm, you know, I'm starting to believe maybe it is Ed Snook. So just, just because, you know, just the court date. And if I go to jail for 180 days, I'll lose. Everything will be gone. So I'll end up winning. So that's what I think is going on. It's some crazy stuff. And that's why I think I was treated the way I was treated in the jail. And uh, well, what, they, whatever they, happened to your friend? Did he get released? No, he's still in jail right now. He's still in jail. Well, I thought you said his bond wasn't actually revoked. It wasn't. I can't find anywhere that says it wasn't revoked. I called his attorney. I have not received a phone call back, but on his record, it doesn't say anything. I have a paper right here. It just says, it doesn't even say anything about a bond being revoked. It just says court date on the 17th of January. So his court date is coming up this next week. And so I'm not sure what's going to happen with him. But I can't do anything to help him now. I'm stuck in my house. I can't drive, you know. So, but it was just really strange. And then, and then the lady comes, or the police officer, when they had my friend and you know in custody. And then she comes over and she's like, she asked if I could search. I told her no. And then she's like, well, you know, um, if there's anything in your car that's illegal, if you drive home, you're going to get in trouble for it. Um, and I'm like, well, you can't search my vehicle. She's like, well, I'm going to go ahead and search the front area where he was sitting. And so. Um, before she searched it, she's like, so how, how are you planning on, or how was he planning on getting home? Because, you know, because it was my car, and I guess she assumed that I was, I was going to say, well, I was going to drive him home. And if I would have said that, then she would have possibly had a reason to arrest me. But I said, well, he's, you know, he's staying at my house. She's like, oh, okay. And after she asked me that question, I thought that was a really weird question to ask. Kind of strange that she would ask, you know, about how he was planning on getting home. If I can't drive, how is he going to get home? So I'm thinking that she was, like I said, wanted me to say, that I was going to drive him home, and then she would have possibly, you know, arrested me. Well, I think you have good cause to be suspicious that there's something going on uh, with all this attention you're getting now over uh, your, you know, your travel. It's weird, I yeah. Think the, definitely I think the one thing about this is the second arrest 
whether there's any the second traffic stop whether there is actually any connection between the two of these is we don't we don't know all right but you can certainly investigate based on that possibility and this certain this second one the second arrest kind of opens up the door to the stingray investigation uh, maybe more of more so than the first Someone in my neighbor also. If you catch my drift, even if it's not true, I don't know whether it is or it's not. Neither do you. Neither does Frank. Nobody, none of us know whether this is true that somebody was following you with stingray. But if they were, the circumstances, the second traffic stop, seem to be conducive to the possibility, and perhaps opens the door to saying, "Look, these guys are chasing me with stingray." Because if I'm so illegal and my, I'm not allowed to drive, then why would she let me drive my car home? She should have forced me to have to have someone up, come up and drive <laughs> my catch car home. catch and release home. thing. Yeah. They regard it as sporting <laughs> to let you go, and then we'll catch you tomorrow or the day after. At, at first, I'm thinking, oh, thank God I'm driving home. She was a cool cop, I'm thinking. But then I'm thinking, you know, I think the reason why she's letting me drive home is because they know or that now they're going to think I'm going to drive again because they couldn't arrest me then because I wasn't driving. And so they let me go. And they had to let me go, and so they're just hoping that I drive again. That's what I think is going on here. It sounds kind of, I'm not paranoid, but it's just too strange. This whole thing is just strange, and, uh, and well, maybe I'm paranoid. You don't know. I mean, just because you think it's possible, just because it looks possible, doesn't mean it's happening, but it doesn't mean it can't be investigated. Right? Yeah, There's listen, a suspicion. All right, investigate the suspicion. Are they following you? Maybe, maybe not. But if they are, are they doing it with Stingray? This opens the door to that inquiry. I think these people are following me with Stingray and blah, blah, blah. Let's and it's, want to see the records. If the Snook does have his hands in this or whatever, or, or someone maybe FBI-related that's doing favors or whatever, they're going to wish they hadn't because now everyone's fixing to get complaints written on them. Even though if they stick or not, nobody wants a complaint. So hopefully this will help ruin any kind of reputation of Snooks in the future. Because I'm sure people at Josephine County will never want anything to do with Snook ever again after this whole case is over, you know. Because almost everyone that's been part of it has gotten a complaint. We have bar complaints. We have, you know, all this stuff going on because I'm trying to, you know, get justice here. And so hopefully that the same thing will happen in this situation. So nobody will be able to have any favors in the future if, you know, for whatever reason. Because that's, that's what I think is going on here. I think possibly someone called up. It wouldn't take much to contact, you know, Shenandoah Police or Montgomery County in my area and try to get me on some, um, you know, try to get me in jail on some charges. Because, like, I mean, they're Frank, lying. Frank they both- mentioned earlier that you may have a great opportunity to counterclaim. I think and I I've do. talked to you yeah. about it, just saying, assuming that someone, assuming that there's a conspiracy here, and maybe this is just randomness, all right? We don't know that there's a conspiracy, but assuming there is a conspiracy, then you need to sue somebody where they understand that if they come after you again, they're going to get sued. They need to see evidence of that on the record, in my opinion. And under those circumstances, it doesn't mean, you know, that they will never come knocking. But it does mean that they might think about it twice before they do. You understand what I'm saying, Frank? Yeah, absolutely I do. I'm a little uh, discombobulated because we got a caller. We have a caller? Yeah, I know. Nicole? Oh, my gosh. Let me check my horoscope. <laughs> <laughs> what, what planetary alignment do we have going on? <laughs> <laughs> Who's the caller? Bernard is the caller. Go ahead, Bernard. Oh, Bernard. Hey, guys. It's uh, probably not a surprise. <laughs> but, uh, 
I can hear an echo. Well, it doesn't come all the way down to where we are, or where I am at least, but sometimes I can hear an echo when I'm talking too. Okay. I think it's going out over the air, right? Is that true, Frank? Yeah, everything's fine. Okay. So what do you got for right, us? Well, I, I was just calling because Deborah happens to be in the same state as uh, Eddie Craig. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys have heard of Eddie Craig, but he does sure a lot of work with the transportation code. Oh, that's bad. What was that? I don't know. That just went went like that for no apparent reason. Now it's done. Now it's stopped. So Eddie Craig, <laughs> maybe he is really good. If they automatically say Eddie Craig and the, and, the, and the radio automatically goes into something like a siren, maybe that's evidence that Eddie Craig really is good. But in fact, Deborah just discovered, I just gave Eddie, uh, I gave Deborah a uh, video of Eddie Craig earlier today and she saw it for the first time and watched it. And uh, so she's, she understands who you're talking about. So have you ever applied his, his uh, stuff to any anything happening in your life, in your legal issues? Uh, if you're asking me, yeah, I got stopped, and I I applied his script, the basic script that he has available online, and yeah. it was it was good, but without the stuff that Frank and Al talk about one doesn't necessarily have a complete understanding on how to apply and stand on your right to inquiry and notice, yeah. which is what gives the court jurisdiction from what I understand. So now what I've learned from Eddie, and I combine that with what Alan Frank talk about on the regular, uh, I think it would be a lot more potent if I ever run into another situation, which I've been fortunate not to. Yeah, that's a good point. This is, you know, I, I worry about that myself, and I think what's the best way for myself, because I learned a lot from Eddie today when I listened to that one video about the um, the Texas definitions of transportation. I know you know what I'm talking about. But um, in order to get that, a chance to actually get that on the record, I'm going to go ahead and file my paperwork before my court date and try to argue that. arraignment date. Right, right. My first yeah, that's gonna, a, the arraignment is what's coming up. Where they right. basically just ask you, uh, do you understand the charges and let you make it a plea? But right. this I'm is not the trial that's coming up. Is that isn't yeah. that correct, or am I mistaken? That's correct. If, if I do end up having to go to trial, I'm going to do a bench trial. I'm not going to do a trial by jury. I'm just going to use the law, and uh, I've already thought about that. But I, I'm hoping that I can um, apply what I learned today from Eddie and draft my motion well i'm going to do lack of jurisdiction is what i've learned as well as a motion to dismiss and then i'm also going to i believe draft a counterclaim well is, sure now i would definitely do the counterclaim on uh, just because they have violated the law and your rights and everything else and cost you money and time and it, you know it goes on but if i'm if i'm following where we're at correctly you're going to an arraignment which is your chance to inquire. Now that chance is now to them, and now at the uh, at the uh, arraignment, that is where they basically determine jurisdiction, right? Um, and and they right, and you you plea, but I'm going to. Well, they also what? want you to say you understand the charges. And that that's how I believe they get jurisdiction. Myself, right. I'd say one other thing is this: you t we talked about it at the beginning of the program. 
talks about that the complaint appeared to us to be defective. All right. Oh, absolutely. It yeah, appeared to it be is. ridiculous. And what you said, Frank, as well, they're going to say it got you here, and that's all we care about. Yeah, and and this is why I would be there in a special appearance rather than a general appearance. Absolutely, and I would also now, before the uh, arraignment, I would draft all the questions I could I could figure, and and you know send a letter to the court wherever it's going to be, and say, look, these are the things that you can expect when I get there, because before we proceed, I have to have answers to these. Yeah. Well, you know. it says. I'm just before we proceed, before I can answer, do I understand the charges? I cannot possibly understand. Questions answered. See, I've been telling the IRS guys that, uh, look, I can't understand until you answer my questions. Because, see, I, I comprehend the word understand to mean more than just mere comprehension. Well, it's right. one of the questions you can ask the judge. Uh, I mean, uh, when the judge says, do you understand the charges, it's, it seems possible to me at least to say, well, that depends. What do you mean? What definition are you using for the word understand? Well, they give you an intention on Do you mean just comprehend, or do you mean am I willing to act as surety for these charges? Well, on, on the Texas criminal procedure, as the first thing I always pull up, I've read the, uh, the correct procedure according to the law on how um, – on what the original, what the complaint information sheet, what it actually says, and it gives you, I don't know if people like skim over this and don't realize how important it is, but on um, the very bottom of it, it says here, it says, if the defendant does not object to a defect, error, or irregularity of form or substance in the charging instrument before the date of which the trial on the merits commences, then the defendant waives and forfeits the right to object to any, any error, defects, or irregularity. So right there, that tells me that I'm going to object right now to this entire complaint, and I'm going to put in, you know, the, through statutes and where the what I object to. So I'm going to I'll do that. If I if I wait until the arraignment when I have to go in person, I'll never get a word in edgewise. I know they're going to shut me down before I can even speak because I'm going to be well. As I as I said, you know, I've I've gone to court four times over this basically same issue. And all four times it's been dismissed, but all four times I sent them in uh, a pile of, okay, here's what's coming, including judicial notices on every, Mm -hmm. on, see, that's how I informed them of the defects. You know, it's like, okay, statute says this, you didn't do this. Here's a judicial notice that says what the statute says. That's awesome. Yep, that's how you do it. You know, and and they said goodbye. It's not just a question of giving them notice of what your defense is going to be. It's also an implied notice of how much it's going to cost to prosecute this case. <laughs> well, yeah. right? If you've got a half a dozen legitimate arguments or even quasi-legitimate arguments, and they can see that you've done the research on it, and they speculate, and they say, this one's willing to go the distance. It's going to cost us $50,000 to take her to the Supreme Court to get $5,000 out of her. It's no way to run a business. Right. It is better I to just yeah. cut bait and get out of here. So when I do my counterclaim, so, I'm, I'm, I've got, like, so many people I can sue right now because they've all violated me. I don't know which one to go because <laughs> the police officer, the prosecutor, they're together. Name them all at once. Yeah. The criminal, the criminal, uh, the Texas Rules of Criminal Procedure again says, you know, when 
when the complaints turned in, there has to be an investigation. I mean, there's been no investigation. It just says the affiant in the complaint, who's the police officer, he swore under the penalty of perjury, you know, well, what did he swear to? I, I want to see the his, his affidavit, whatever he's swearing to, I would like to see it. And that's where the prosecutor, the prosecutor also has access to that database, the same database. And again, I pulled up my, my, my Texas background of driving record. It doesn't say suspended, it says not eligible. It's a whole different statute. So now the prosecutor is still trying to prosecute me if he doesn't dismiss this according to uh, this has been an unlawful arrest all the way through. And then if I bring up the correct terms of the commercial versus you know, the transportation code, I don't know if I'm, if I'm going to do that or if I should. I'm still trying to figure out how to put that in here. I'm definitely going to use those terms though because I'm not a driver according to Eddie's information. I'm not, I was not transporting anything. I'm not involved in transportation. Like all these, all these great, you know, little pieces of gold I learned today. It's amazing. And so it would be great if we could find enough people to come together and do some sort of class action against the Department of, the Texas Department of Public Safety, because this is completely a racket. I mean, this is a real, this is a racket. I mean, a big time racket in Texas. This whole thing is based on fraud. Well, and we were talking before about you had to make certain objections. If you didn't, if, if you didn't object to defects in form or the name or whatever, then this thing just continues to run. That's how I think they get people to consent without them knowing what's going on. Yes, that's exactly. If they don't object, it's presumed they consent. Well, and the thing is, this is this, the average person does not even suspect that this whole process may depend on your consent. Well, this, this whole thing is exactly, and, and people, you know, <laughs> it's not obvious, but it's the same exact thing going on that's going on with the IRS. Yeah, yeah you're it, right. It is a misapplication of statute. Now, there are, mm-hmm. pe- there are entities out there that need a driver license. They need exactly. their vehicle registered. Because they are involved in commerce. That's right. They are Driving acting. down the road in a 16-wheeler, they, they need a special license. They are they acting with privilege. They're using my road and your road for their profit. That's a privilege. You don't get to, it's a privilege to use other people's stuff for your own benefit. And that's the whole thing between licensing and, you know, uh, registration and all that. There are those out there that should have that, and and they should be pulled over if they don't. But they're misapplying it to everybody, just like they are the income tax. Yeah, there are entities out there that owe income tax, but they're applying it to everybody. So, it's the same certain amount of optimism there, Frank. We're just, what the heck? Yeah. We're just going to charge taxes to everybody. Throw it up on the wall. But we can do that. Hey, it's like Uh, blowing mud on the wall. Let me say one thing before we get, before I forget about it. The idea that Deborah, Deborah was reading from the, from the law that says if, if there are any defects in the form, process, blah, 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 and they don't, you don't object to them right up front, they will be accepted and the, pro- the proceeding will continue. What this signals to me is that objections have to be made by means of a special appearance. Exactly. A special yeah. appearance yeah. is the time to make your objections. All right, and, and you're yeah. going on arraignment. If you make a general appearance and you don't object to anything, you're cooked. Yep. The implication, exactly. the way I'm looking at it, 
is if you go to the arraignment and if it's possible to make a special appearance there to challenge jurisdiction and you raise your your objections, now may, then maybe you can maybe you can skate out from under. Do you agree with me, Frank? And what about you, Bernard? If you're still on the line, do you agree with me? Um, I, I, go ahead, Bernard. I not only agree with the uh, with the proposition that you're proposing, but I I don't know if you can hear me. Okay, I can hear you. Okay, cool. So basically, I I agree with the proposition, the idea of it, but I don't necessarily have a full understanding of the concept of special appearance, and that was actually one of the things that I was hoping that you could flush out, since it seems like you're well informed on that matter. No, I'm not well informed. Like everything else, I'm well opinionated. Well, my my there's a difference. My thing on it is, I agree that if uh, you know now now is the time to ask the questions and object and challenge jurisdiction and and all of it. And definitely, you know, I I think this is a... I I can't think of a better case for a counterclaim, really. But uh, as far as special appearance, I think it might even go deeper than if you don't... You know, if you show up in a general appearance, and now people think, oh, well, that judge is just corrupt. I've heard that a thousand times. And I think... We're on to something because I believe from what I've seen and what I've learned is that if you go in a general appearance, whether you object or not, doesn't matter at that point because he's just going to say, overruled, get out, you know, know, forget it, we have jurisdiction. Because just by being there in a general appearance, you've accepted their jurisdiction. Yeah. So what do you do and what do you say? You walk in the door, they call the case, and uh, Frank Stephan... Bah, bah, bah. And you step up to the microphone or uh, whatever, and now what? What do you do? Well, what they usually say is so-and-so present. And you step up, and I think you should say, yes, under special visitation or special appearance. I agree with I you. Something. Let me intervene. Uh, my advice to whoever's listening is if there's a way, in which there is, to appear telephonically, that's the way to go. Don't, tr- don't go in person because you'll never be able to get a word in edgewise. <laughs> So I'm going. Well, I'm you you've got to get it on the record. But assuming you have to go there in person, and even oh, if you're it. doing this over the telephone, however you're doing it, the first thing you say to the judge, yes, I'm here by special appearance. Exactly right. And the and the special appearance is to challenge jurisdiction. And now is the time, and he's going to say, what, what's your complaint or whatever. And now whatever he says, you have to. Lodge your objections and say object to this. Object now to this object to this object to this. There's here is the definition. Here is the definition. You're gonna really, really like this, Al. Okay. A special appearance is a term used in the American law of civil procedure to describe a civil defendant's appearance in the court of another state solely to dispute the personal jurisdiction of the court over that defendant. Did you get that part of another yeah, state? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Of another state? Where's I get that. I, I mean, I heard it right away. And what you're arguing is they are, their jurisdiction is within the territorial. That's right. And you're state. arguing that I am within the state of the union. I am without this state, and I am within a state of the union. Yeah. And I am here, and I am challenging crazy talk. And I am challenging your jurisdiction. 
You know, and that is what special appearance is for. What did you read that from? Oh, let's see here. Where, where, where? Oh, okay. So this, okay. (laughs) The rules of civil procedure. What about criminal procedure or um, any other type? I don't have any information on it. But it doesn't matter because everything's civil. Yeah, well, Uh right. They say that's a whole other argument, too, because I I learned today that this is actually... Just the last few days on this, everything is civil. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, In fact, the law that I read, it said, this is civil, and this is civil, and this is civil, and this is civil, and they listed maybe eight or ten different varieties of criminal procedure and penal procedure that are deemed to be civil, but they didn't say everything. I think everything, any of the following, but they did not say all process is civil. Okay, let me let me then qualify what I said by I think everything within the territories is civil. That might be true. That might be true. And it would also follow that everything was commercial and what would be the evidence of commerce? Federal Reserve Money. notes. I'd say it's Money. Federal Reserve notes. I would agree with you hundred percent. Bernard, does that does that ring your bell? Do you think that's roughly correct or not? Man, you guys are killing it right now. Um, yeah, it it completely makes sense. And the and the the um, the special appearance thing is just it, Eddie Eddie Craig uses that to challenge jurisdiction. He never gives the court jurisdiction, and so mm-hmm. they have to prove to him that they have jurisdiction, and they right. don't. And in this type of law, you're right because uh, I learned today from Eddie on his video that this is actually. There's no jurisdiction over the transportation code or transportation law in in any kind of judicial court because it's administrative law, and that's only because it's it's designed to regulate as we uh, as we've already discussed commercial uh, regulations, commercial drivers, commercial transporting of, of commerce, all that. So that's an administrative rule that should not be in any kind of judicial court, and so the judges don't even have the authority, legal authority, to rule on this kind of you know, administrative law within their courthouse is what I learned yeah, from they have today. authority to rule on it, but the question is, will you consent to it? Do you consent to be to be uh, charged under administrative proceedings? Because if you do, the judge is sitting there with all three fundamental powers of government at his disposal, executive, legislative, and judicial. There's no separation of powers in administrative law according to the text on administrative law and Amjur second. And they say well, it repeatedly, they say that administrative law combines the three fundamental powers of government under a single authority, which means, what I think that actually means is when you put all three fundamental powers of government together under one, and one under one authority, what are you dealing with, Frank? Do you have a guess? Sovereignty? I think you're dealing with the sovereign. I think you're dealing with the sovereign. If you go into administrative court, it is my theory, and I can't prove it, but that judge is sitting there as the sovereign, and you are sitting there as the subject. And he can do anything he wants if you're willing to sit for that administrative, you know, under that administrative process. What I've done in the past, and I don't know that it worked. We made the argument. Nobody responded to it. They dumped the case eventually. They dropped the case, and they, you know, we think it, they happened primarily because of the man or other animals argument, but I argued one. I'm a, one of the people of the state of Texas. 
two and people, people, not inhabited, occupant, resident, one of the people of the state of Texas. Two, I'm a beneficiary of the Express Charitable Trust called the Constitution of the State of Texas. Express Charitable Trust, I am a beneficiary. Three, you, sir, sitting there at the bench, you are, you've taken an oath of office to support and, as, well, not to support and defend necessarily the, the state constitution, but by that oath of office, you have voluntarily become my fiduciary, and I want you to administer that trust on my behalf. So Article 2 of the Texas Constitution says uh, we are entitled to the division of powers. That means I don't have to consent. As one of the people of the state of Texas, I do not have to consent to administrative process. An administrative process does not have division of powers. I tell them, I want an Article 5 court. Article 5 is the judicial department in Texas Constitution. Well, whether it worked or not, I made the argument, and they at least didn't laugh at me. I don't know whether whether it's valid or not, and I don't... I mean, yay, yay, I won. They didn't laugh at me. Um... Yeah. That's how they get away with it, though, is through ignorance, because they, they do give you the option. They do. Well, they shouldn't. According to Texas, they, they let you know, hey, if you don't if you don't if you don't object to any of these defects or the, the format or, you know, then, then, then we're rolling forward with it. And so that means you're going under an administrative law and that's how they get you. But they do give you the option, just not really out in the open like they should. Because our attorneys screw you if you hire an attorney. So, but they do give you have to you know let the, they do give you that option. So we have to just make sure that you don't you do not um, consent. You do not consent to this kind of law. You have to and expressly <laughs> deny that you've consented. They're going to presume, and you know this. I know you already know this, but they're going to presume your consent if you don't right. expressly object. Well, and you've exactly already right. seen that's evidence right. of that in your case with Mr. Snook. You've objected. <laughs> <laughs> How many objections do you think you filed in that case? Oh, in two and a half years? I don't even know. Probably over 20 or 25, probably quite a bit, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And in court, an actual, like a hearing, uh, I've, I've objected more so on on paper than I do and you know during the actual hearing because it is stressful and you do, you know, it's just a little bit different. But I have objected in, during in the oral arguments I have. But um, they're on the record. That's the whole thing. Writing it out before you get into the hearing, whatever kind of hearing you're going into, especially the first one, it's so. I mean, I advise people not to go in there and let you file your stuff in the in the record. Then when you walk and you can ask the judge, Your Honor, if you're going in in person, Your Honor, have you re- have you read through my motion and have a copy there for him? And if he says he hasn't had time or he never got it, then you can hand one to him right there on the record. Just make sure you get your your motion or your objections filed before you get there, and they're in the record. So they're on the, you know, for an appeal. So it's already there in the record as evidence, and you're merely giving him a copy. Right. In theory, if you get these documents into the record before you get to court, does it necessarily follow that the judge will read it before you get to court? Is he required to read it, or uh, does he just take it as it's presented to him in the courtroom? Any good judge would read it, but the reason... You know, I, I think if he admits that he didn't read it, I didn't have time, I'm too busy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think yeah. that is a clear admission that you're being denied due process. How can he possibly... What? Have a copy so he can read it. So it's on the record. Make sure, you know, there's a court transcriber. Make sure that if he hasn't had time, then he can, you know, give him a complimentary, a courtesy copy right there in person. Make sure that... And then if he decides not to read it, 
then on the record, then you can say objection to the judge not. You I'm know, being denied due process. This man cannot possibly adjudicate right. this case without reading my motions. I'm not then being. I'm not being given the ability to be heard. Because oh, that exactly. is what the judge said in her case with up in Oregon. He has expressly refused to read Deborah's judicial notices. And how many judicial notices have you sent in? A lot. <laughs> Probably over 20. That's funny because, you know, the, the statutes he say that he doesn't have a anyway. choice. He refuses to read them. Yeah, and the rules of procedure say that he doesn't have a choice. I understand. That's the whole, whole strategy. When you're pro se, you cannot expect these guys to, follow, to do anything according to the rules in person or even... But as long as you're making your record, I mean, go in there, uh, planning to lose this thing, fight hard, make your record like you're going to be able to use it, you can use it for your appeal. Because if you don't put this stuff on record, if you walk in there, your first appearance, nothing's been filed yet, he's going to shut you down, he's not going to listen to you, nothing's going to be said, it'll be over, and now you have nothing in the record, so you can't appeal anything. You have no appeal. You have to make the record, you have to file your objections before your hearing, Give them a chance, serve the prosecutor or serve the other party if it's civil. Give them a chance, you know, because that's what the rules say. And now you've made your record. You're always trying to plan for the, on the record so you can plan for a good, strong appeal when you lose at the district level, because you're probably going to lose. That's just the way I look at it. Because they don't you'll either dismiss favorite. the case or you'll lose. I'm either sorry? it won't come to court or you will lose, and that's the, that's, <laughs> I would say there's 99% probability 99.9 maybe that you will either the case will be dismissed if you're good they'll dismiss and say we don't want to talk about it and get out of here or well, they're going to say it. we don't want to talk about it but since we have to you lose and now well, they'll, they'll, they'll bet that you don't go up on appeal every case in supreme court law every case in case law has lost just think of it like that. Every one of these great cases we used to cite in our legal... You our mean legal the cases case. that went to the Supreme Court and made well, new law. Yes, they Radical all Radical new all law. All extraordinary new law. law. It all starts out losing, losing, losing. They finally get to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court says, you know, you've got a point. Exactly. That's, the, that's what keeps me motivated personally. So that's mm -hmm. when I know if I you know if you got the judge angry, if the people are, you know, angry and you're scared, you got the judge, you know, cra acting crazy, that means you're winning. But you're probably going to lose. Just keep, keep that in mind. On the on his level, he's not very smart. But then that means you're going to overturn it on an appeal, like everybody else. You know, all these. I don't know if you if you've looked into this, Deborah or Al, that you know when these things happen, if there's any kind of statutes or rules of conduct or anything that you can hold the judge to. They're like, okay, fine. You know what? You can screw me over. You cannot read this. You can do that. But you know what? You're breaking this rule, and I'm going to hold you to it. And is there anything like that? Any? Uh, and I know filing judicial complaints don't judicial really go very far. Well, it just depends. It, you're right. They don't. But, you know, I'm, I'm also trying to figure out how to master the complaint process because my second mm. bar complaint Counter against Lumberger, Edward Snook's attorney, it's actually um, it's actually gone up to the next level, so I might have um, figured it out. So yeah, that's a good one. There is a judicial complaint process you can go through. I'm not sure how successful they are, but I have actually gone in, and some judges are held accountable. I mean, you can actually go into your state and look at the judicial complaint of your um, of the Supreme Court and read um, how other people have gotten judges. You know, if they've been sanctioned or whatever, you can actually you know there is public information on that.
No, but is that really satisfactory? The judge got a wrist slap. I mean, if you really want to sanction the judge, <laughs> if you can clip him for $50,000 out of his bank balance, yeah, take right. his house. I guarantee you that will put the fear of God and the rest of the judges. I don't want to deal with this person. I don't want to because she's going to sue me for she's going to sue me for a couple hundred thousand dollars and maybe collect fifty. Keep her out of my courtroom. I thought about how to do this, and I'm wondering. And no one, I don't know if anyone's tried this, but really the people who, because it's really dangerous to sue a judge, as we all know. I mean, there's people that go to jail for thirty years to life. You hear about these crazy stories. But um, has anyone ever tried to sue the Bar Association in their state? Because they're required to follow the rules of ethics. And I know for a fact that 1% of all the complaints out of Oregon anyway, they're all dismissed except about 1% a year. And I've actually read Lernberger's file on all these Bar complaints that have been uh, filed against him. And these are some outrageous complaints and I cannot believe that they dismiss them. I mean, he actually went after a paraplegic a man who can't even, he's completely disabled, and he was a client of Lernberger, and uh, Lernberger racked up a big bill for him over $50,000 and says, you know, demanding payments. And it sounds like the guy did not really owe this money, and so Lernberger and Snook were demanding him to take a life insurance policy out. So when he dies, that Lernberger will get his money. Just crazy stuff like that. You would think that this would be sanctionable, and they get. You would think he'd lose his his bar license for that. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we're talking some outrageous, outrageous complaints. Well, no, I, I think I don't think offhand. I don't think I could go sue the bar because they only, you know, maybe they screwed other people over. But if they screw me over, if I put in a complaint and they dismiss it and it's a legitimate complaint, I think then I would have a case to sue them and say, okay, fine, you know what? You know what? You say this was not a complaint that was, but, you know, and you don't want to be filing frivolous complaints. I mean, if you have evidence to prove your complaint and they dismiss it, I would think suing them would be, you know, possible because now you are, you know, you're the injured party here and it's like, hey, wait a minute. Okay, let's go to court. Let's have a court look at Let's have a jury basically yeah. look at these. Yeah, uh, jury look yeah, at it. Let's you look can at them. Stand up and tell them you're the honorable attorney. Yeah. <laughs> and see, and I'm being, I'm, I'm speaking as if I was talking to an attorney. I'm not talking to Deborah. I'm not talking to Frank. But it, I don't think attorneys necessarily want to get sued in court where they have a jury because I don't think attorneys are held in high esteem. I think bank That's robbers are held in higher esteem than most attorneys. Probably not a good idea good for them in front of a jury. You're not going to find an attorney that will actually take a case to sue another attorney. That's why I want to be an attorney. I want Very to be the rare. attorney. Call. Yeah. I, I want to be the attorney people can call to sue their attorney when they get screwed over and go after their malpractice insurance or their. Um, I've mentioned. I've calls. mentioned. I've mentioned Michael Minns to you before, who lives down here, or did live down here in Texas. I'm not sure where he lives right now. He may have retired, but Minns had fought. The government for years with the IRS, he was one of the few attorneys that actually won cases against the IRS, and he would sue other attorneys for malpractice. Really? And he was completely, he was disparaged by his entire profession, and he told me one time, he said, you know, every place I go, I'm unwelcome. Because no, none of the other attorneys in his profession wanted to even talk to him because he would take malpractice cases against attorneys. And, uh, you know, a lot, awesome. of, a lot of political pressure against him. 
right? He was just, he's, you know, he said you'd like to be able to talk to members of your own profession, and uh, it was not available. That's, this was 20 years ago. I don't know. That's when. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I would love to be, I would love for everyone to hear He a very successful attorney. <laughs> Attorney, but it takes some real guts. Yeah, yeah, that's why. Like 125 grand to hire him, right? To, for his IRS. I think I heard. I think I. I think I heard that his retainer was something like four hundred thousand dollars. Wow. And I don't crazy. trust that number. I, that's in my. That's what I recall vaguely, and it's probably incorrect. But that's what I recall, and. I mean, he has sufficient repu reputation and sufficient, just staff, it wasn't big staff. I bet he probably had no more than three or five lawyers working for him at the time. This would be 10 years ago. And, but they were good, right? They didn't take 20 cases. He had one case basically at a time. Wow. And he put all his eggs in one basket, and they watched that basket very, very closely, and they were almost impossible to defeat. Most attorneys, they're juggling 50 cases. They don't know They don't know the names of their clients, let alone what the issues are. They can't keep it straight in their own mind. Mins was doing one case at a time. He may have other, other staff attorneys that were handling other cases, but he was focused on one case at a time. And it gave it, it, gave it his full attention, and it was... It, it was it was very difficult for other corporations that had a thousand attorneys. They had trouble dealing with him because he had well, brains enough and enough dedication where, uh, you know, a real bulldog. And they used to call him Mad Dog. That's right? awesome. And he was a little guy, right? Not a big man. But he was a Golden Gloves champion back in the day. And there was at least one story, I've told Deborah this before, there was at least one instance where he had made an attorney look stupid in court, an opposing attorney. And when they stepped out in the hall, the opposing attorney, who was a fairly big man, he came over and grabbed hold of Mins by the lapel, and he was going to, you know, push him around a little bit. Next thing he knew, he was laying flat on his back because Mins was small, but he was a Golden Gloves champion, and he knew how to throw a punch. So, in any case, he was one of my heroes, and... Uh, and, and so far as attorneys go and the rest of it, he's the only one I ever had any real respect for. But, uh, yeah. Okay, well, I'm so. juggling three cases right now and three cases on my own, which is crazy. Three cases, a lot to juggle. And I don't know how people could do more than more than a couple. I mean, really. Well, that's what I was going to suggest on, on, I don't know which would be the best one to do it. You'd have to decide that. But you can always get more, you know, time extensions on, on these things. And, uh. You mean get a get a continuance on yeah. the arraignment, or or on one of the other cases? I don't know. You know, if you have three, you'd have to decide which one would be the best one, or you know, least damaging to you to get more time. But yeah, three cases is kind of tough. I would I would try to put put something off a little bit so you could well, concentrate I, I, on whichever <laughs> one you need to concentrate on. Not a bad idea, and it might be possible. Do you think it's possible with the arraignment on a traffic ticket, for example? Not necessarily the so. best choice, but I think so. I think you can uh, get more time. What if, what if I ask for continuance I on think the, so. the traffic thing? Yeah, I, I think that's what you, you could do. And uh, I, I don't remember to tell you the truth, but I think I've done that on a couple of my. Uh, traffic thing. Did you get a continuance? Or yeah, well, and it was always and it was always before the arraignment because I never made it past an arraignment in any of yeah. mine. 
Okay, that's so awesome. you know that's where my experience ends. Is you know there, and Good. and to tell you the truth, the arraignment wasn't much of anything either. Because see, I sent in all my paperwork beforehand, and that's mm-hmm. why I needed more time. Was because hey, I got a pile of stuff I need you to see before you decide you want to do this with me, and uh, you know. And that's it. So the arraignment, gosh, a one arraignment, I didn't even get to talk to the judge. One arraignment was I'm in the courtroom and there's a bunch of people in there and I hear my name being called from, you know, somewhere in the back. And I raised my hand and she goes, you know, she motioned me over. And I got up and I I went over there and she says, are you, you know, Mr. So-and-so? And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, uh, your case has been dismissed. Mm-hmm. And I said, awesome. I, I said, awesome. I said, why is that? <laughs> she goes, in the interests of justice. Yeah, right. That's, and, and I, well, that's, that's good. That's a good answer. Well, yeah. And I told her though. I said, oh well, that's great. Uh, but I'm going to need that in writing before exactly. I before I leave this building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know. Uh, she goes, well, you know, we're kind of busy, and they were. The courtroom was full. Uh, but I said, well, nevertheless. You know, I'm I'm not leaving this building without something writing because, quite frankly, I don't trust you people. Uh-huh. Good for you. And she didn't like that, but she said, "Okay, well, go go over to the front desk there, and I'll be over there in a minute." And so she was, and it took about 15 minutes, but I got, you know, a sheet stamped by the court, dismissed, and then I left. So that was that. But that was one of them, and I didn't even get to talk to the judge. That's good. That's what you want. You don't want to go talk to the judge. That, that means whatever you filed was was excellent. For the matter of justice, that's awesome. Well, I just I wish they'd have sent me a nice letter saying, you know, don't waste your time coming down here. Here's this. Right. Uh, you know, you yeah, don't have to be trusted. Well, if it was stamped by the court, you know, as the you know, with the same yeah, thing maybe they so. Yeah, I agree. Maybe I I agree with that, but. I've heard of people that have been told there was a continuance and no need to show up. And if you don't make that hearing, that's when they rule against you. Yeah. All right. I've I've heard of people where they get continuances, not that they're asking for one. The other side's asking for one. And you get a continuance. You show up in court. You get another continuance. Show up in court. You get another continuance. Finally, you get tired. You get a flat tire. You don't show up in court. Bang. The, the case goes on, and they rule against you for failure to appear. Right. All and, of yeah. this is dangerous stuff. You get into court, and if you think you can trust these people, you be dumb. Oh, oh don't trust crazy. nobody. Not even the clerk, nobody. Don't trust yeah. anyone. No yeah, one. You exactly get everything right. in writing. For sure. Hey, um, hey, um, Frank, here's some good news. Have you, I'm sure you've heard of the Oregonian North newspaper, right? <laughs> the Oregonian Well, you know yeah, if we call it a newspaper anymore, but yeah. <laughs> Why do you say that? Well, they're not, uh, they're, they're kind of liberal. Oh, well, they're doing yeah. an article about... They're the still the biggest Bible. paper in Oregon, isn't that true? Or is it... Yeah, the biggest... Uh, they're like the biggest and pretty much only state newspaper. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I got a contact from a, the, one of the lead journalists out of the Oregonian, and she's writing an article about the U.S. Observer. So I'm really excited about that. <laughs> I'm really excited. Oh, what kind of article? Not a good one. Oh, ah, <laughs> there you go. Okay. They're, they're, she, she got interest in the U.S. Observer, and she she found my case out of the court. She did some of her own research, and we had about a 45-minute conversation, and she um, I've been feeding her a lot of information she requested, and she's done her own investigation on the U.S. Observer and, and the whole setup on the organization and, and everything else, and she really... Um, 
she really like uh, highlighted a lot of areas that I was always wondering about um, that you know she confirmed. Well, just and be careful about one thing about the U.S. Uh, the uh, Oregon uh, the Oregonian is that they don't paint Ed Snook as a representative of the Patriot Freedom Truth Movement because that's what they do. They'll pick a bad guy. And they'll pop them up there and say, see, this is what all those crazy patriot militia types are all about, this guy. And that's what I don't like about the Oregonian. I mean, yeah, they picked a bad guy in this one, but what they'll try to do is tie him to the rest of everybody else. Well, hopefully they're going to, what she seems to be interested in is being what, um, why people would hire and pay for news stories when a news story shouldn't cost hey, $10,000. Hey, Deborah, Deborah don't, make, yeah. don't make me play back what you just said. Don't trust nobody. And the Oregonian right. definitely counts for that. That's a good point, a very good point. But I did record my conversation, so if she ever does backfire or whatever, I do have... Um, Count, of our count on it, okay? I'm, I'm just giving you a heads up on I am not a fan of the Oregonian, okay? Now, that's not to say they haven't ever done any good work, but uh, they've done a lot of uh, disservice to a lot of innocent people. Well, I hope they're not going to do it to me. Oh, my gosh, that would be a nightmare. Well, just wow. one more Adam to the list, you know, huh? I don't think you have to worry about that exactly. Um, you've recorded their conversations, they may have enough brains to understand they shouldn't cast you in a false light, or they may incur liability. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. You might want to. I've been on a lot of news media over the years, and I've been hustled one time, one time that they just flat out. And I might have told Frank this before, mm-hmm. but there was a woman who came to my from one of the I don't remember it was NBC or CBS or something the local in Dallas. And they wanted some comments from me on gun control, Second Amendment rights. I said, sure, come on down, blah, blah, blah. They drove on down, and they had the cameraman, this woman, blonde woman. She was a good-looking blonde, and she was, I thought it was five minutes. They'd get a couple of comments, and they'd be gone. She sat there and listened to me jabber for <laughs> for an hour. And she was just, oh, my gosh, that's just so fascinating. And the rest of us are, uh-huh. and I thought I had found my true love. And I thought she'd be coming to the meetings and the rest of that. And the following day, they ran a report, and they cut and pasted excerpts from the hours worth of conversation they had on tape. And they made me out to be saying things that were completely opposite from what I intended to say. If I didn't see the videotape myself, I, 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 I could not believe how stupid I sounded. But they're able to do that when they cherry-pick this stuff. But I've only had that one, one occasion. I've had other occasions. Blah, blah, blah. I've been on 60 Minutes. They, didn't, they weren't out my fans. But I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't upset with the, with the interview itself. They're generally pretty good about giving you a straight shot. Snook might be, yeah. an, Snook may be an, uh, you know, uh, an exception to that rule, but generally speaking, I thought they've been fair. You know, well, I don't know. I watched your 60 Minutes. Uh, I watched your 60 Minutes uh, thing, and I don't think they were fair. 
terrible I did because they could have been a lot worse. Oh, they could have been a lot worse. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you there, but I don't think they were fair. I mean, you know, unless we're on a big sliding scale here. That's okay. Still, so it's pretty impressive that he got on 60 Minutes. <laughs> it's oh, cool. absolutely. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's gosh, it's got to be tough. I mean, because you know they're going to try to hatch at you. But, gosh, yeah, what an opportunity. for fact, and I was hopeful they weren't going to. But what, a, what an opportunity. But when I got there, after about 15 minutes, I realized, yeah, they were intending to do a hatchet job on me. But and what an I opportunity. That as best I could. You know, you can't turn it down because it's a huge opportunity. No. Uh, it's not just a huge opportunity. What was excellent for me in that situation is I was sitting across from Byron Pitts, who was not their top investigative journalist, but still he's working for 60 minutes. I mean, this this guy didn't just graduate from journalism last you know semester ago or something like that. At the community college. It's a serious business. We were about half into the program, maybe a half hour. And there was a moment when Byron Pitts and I both just locked eyes, and we looked at each other for a moment. And it was probably only, I don't know, five or ten seconds. But I knew that he couldn't handle me, and he knew he couldn't handle me. And that was a powerful moment for me. It was a situation where I thought, I'll be damned. I can do I can handle 60 minutes. It doesn't mean I could always do it, but I can give them a run for their money. They cannot just overwhelm me. And you go in, you're wondering, you think, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get, you know, I'm gonna get beat up here. No, I didn't. So I was delighted. It was a good, it was a good thing for me, even though. No, I thought you did great I, because you, you know, I mean, like when I say I don't think they were fair, it's because it was clear they were trying mm-hmm. to do a hatchet job. They just weren't succeeding as well as they yeah, as well as they uh, <laughs> would have liked it. It was so. I mean, it's, hey, 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 not bad, not bad. <laughs> you know, sprained my arm trying to pat myself on the back. You know, I got out on that one. You know. you know, but they do this all the time. I mean, there there was a paper down here, and this is just a local TV station, and you know, the Americans Bulletin, and they were nationwide. And at the time, they they had got they had written something or had somebody that they had a writer that. They got arrested. They made the news, and so the local TV station came down there, and the publisher knew to be very careful. And uh, we were all hanging around, and I watched the whole thing. I mean, he he said, "Okay, fine, I'll give you the interview, but here's the ground rules." You you know, he didn't want any outside. He did not want his office identified on camera from the outside. You know, so people could find it, you know, and things like that. And he also, you know, okay, fine, so, and and we're going to have witnesses. Okay, great. So we were the witnesses, and they did this thing, and they were just like you described with that woman, all nice, and oh, boy, you know, I get that. Yeah, you know what? I never thought of that. That makes a lot of sense, blah, blah, blah. And it's all happy time, right? Like, you know, it's great. And then comes the 6 o'clock news. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Here's this this cut and paste hack job. Yep. And they actually they edited things he said together that didn't go together. And they But it makes you sound like a complete idiot. Yeah, and the first thing they did was pan from the highway to the office to show you basically exactly how to get there. Yep. And you know, they did everything against what the deal was and we all were all there we saw it and it was like wow that was the first time in real life i got to see man 
You can't trust these people at all. And and one of the biggest problems is they'll come and they'll say, oh, yeah, we want to interview. Uh, well, how long? Oh, I don't know, half hour or something. Okay, half hour or something. Well, they're uh-huh, gonna use how long 30, is it going to air? Yeah, they're going to use 30 seconds of that. Yeah, I understand. Right. So you better what be you real. What you have to have is if you can go live with them. You better be I real don't go careful. Live with anybody in the world wants to go live, I don't care. Yeah, but you want to <laughs> cherry pick. They I never say do. something that's stupid. It doesn't mean that I'm going to win the interview one way or another. But if it's live, it can't be edited. Right. And that's what you want. And if you, you give them an hour's worth of tape and let them pull out <laughs> eight minutes, you got to hope to God that they give you a halfway fair shake because it's hard to talk for long without saying stupid things, even if you don't realize it at the time. You know, I actually read something about this where somebody was basically giving coaching on how to do this. And the biggest thing I remember out of that whole thing that I read was keep your statements to short sentences Mm -hmm. and answer them very concisely. Because apparently that's much harder to put you know, okay, take this and that, you know. Uh, in other words, don't go on and on and on because that's mm-hmm. where you get in trouble because then they can take that on and on that basically you're just mumbling and doing filler and they'll take that and they'll put it with something else and you'll sound like an idiot, you know. And uh, I know. It, It's a dangerous I know. thing. It happened and it was a learning experience. It's one of those things that I'll probably never forget. Yeah. Deborah, we're down to where we probably got about five or six minutes left. Do you have any other questions that you would like to pose for Frank or perhaps Bernard, if he's still on the line? He's not. He's not. Okay, Bernard's not here anymore. Deborah, you got any questions? Where's Bernard? What state is he out of? I'm just curious. What state was I'm not sure, but he's in the chat room, and if he's hearing it, he can type in there what state he's from, and you know, I'll, I'll let you know. Okay. Deborah's um, heard Bernard speak questions? here once before. He came and called in. And I think two consecutive weeks, we had fairly long discussions with Bernard, and she was impressed by what he had to say. And uh, maybe Bernard will allow you, Frank, to receive his email address and forward it to Deborah if Deborah has any interest in giving him a call. Is that the man who was on the show a few weeks ago that I listened to on the way home? But yeah, and you wanted you wanted to get a copy of it and you didn't. And uh, yeah, yeah, because he said some good stuff. I forgot what he was talking about. How he made the judge mad, or or um. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, hey, guess what? Bernard answered me. He lives in Texas. He does. Oh, cool. Right, he's down here in Texas. He's under what the same does he have an email yeah. address that he's willing to share? Nah, I don't mean over the air, but I mean uh, <laughs> yeah, with the it on to Deborah. I'm, and so I don't know. You also know Eddie because if I would like to get with, I would like to ask Eddie because I know during these traffic stops, um, you know, let me let me stop here. But let me say something else. I see an opportunity to make. I don't even know if I should say this on air, but if we can figure out, we talked about this a little um, while ago, Al. If we can figure out how to do this, how to do this right, and how to you know how to beat them at their own game with their own mm-hmm. you know laws and and codes. I mean, because it's all right here. We didn't really get in tonight about the commercial versus private, but it's all over. I mean, um, I'm looking at the driver, Texas driver manual, and then the Texas commercial driver manual that's posted on their own website. And I'm going to take time to, to compare them and see if there's any difference in them. There probably won't be, is what I'm thinking. And but my point is, is we can somehow formulate a way legally to take action against this and, you know, legally 
and possibly make some money at it. I think we could possibly maybe make a difference because this is, um, it seems like a very simple thing to do once you open up these things and read them from their own laws and codes. I mean, it, they're talking commercial. This is, does not apply to a private individual. It doesn't. It doesn't apply to us. None of this does. Well, so not I'm even not if you're. Not even if you had a driver license and have your car registered and insured. If you are not in the act of hauling um, passengers or product, you are not right. engaged in the regulated activity. Right. And, and therefore right. cannot be regulated. Now, yeah, sure, if I want to use this car for that, I can. If I want to do it, I'm licensed to do it. But I'm not doing it at this time. Or if I want to do it and I don't have a license, if I want to haul passengers for hire, Uber, for example, but I don't have a license, I'm going to get into trouble. Right? Well, I need a commercial license to haul commercial passengers around. But I don't need a license to haul people f- for free, not for money. We need to find out what it is, what it is, too, and there's got to be something in law somewhere. I know we'll find it, or I'll find it if I look, but there's got to be a way legally to, when you get pulled over, to uh, not by saying, I'm, I'm not against the sovereign stuff, but all that stuff is real, I know, but that's the kind of language that gets people in trouble, because this is under a sovereign, we are sovereigns, you know, we're not supposed to be under these kind of laws because they don't apply to us, but if we find the right kind of legal terms to use, to differentiate at that moment that you're not, we're not practicing commerce, you know, and just get them to where they start separating people and taking their attention off of us because that's where the attention's not supposed to be on us unless we get in a car wreck. This is the way I'm, I'm reading this law. That's why we have auto insurance. In case you get in a car wreck with possibly a commercial carrier or, you know, someone who's in commerce, this is to, then they can regulate the situation to protect us. And that's the reason why they have all these commercial laws is to protect the private people from, like mm. you were saying, um, Frank, that's that nice those theory. are The reason they have these laws is to make money. It, well, that's right, what these laws right, are really they're, they're about. They're not pub- they're public safety fraud. and the rest, that sort of thing. The secondary right, is most. Fraud. Well, thing is, the, the police officers know, in Texas anyway, when they get behind you, they know if you have insurance. So for them to walk up and ask for your insurance when they already know that you have it, and then you don't have a copy in your glove box, and then you get a ticket for it, and not everybody probably goes to the courthouse and pays the ticket. So then it goes into maybe a warrant. I mean, the whole thing is on fraud. So it seems like we could get some sort of class action suit from anyone out there that's gotten a suspended license or surcharges due to not having proof of their insurance in their car when they really had insurance and the cops know that you have insurance. Everyone knows it because they have access to that database. So it seems like there should be a legal way we could possibly well, There's it. undoubtedly legal ways to do it, but the only thing is in terms of class action, you have to hire a licensed attorney. And when you we do have- that, you stumble into, I think that gives them jurisdiction in the territorial venue, maybe the administrative venue. Once that happens, your goose is kind of cooked. If you're going to do this, the unfortunate and maybe even the great reality of this is you really have to find you have to find enough brains and enough courage to do it yourself. I'll do it myself. And it really does. It may not be a fast way to get rich, but it it gives you it gives you a great deal of strength and confidence before you're done with it. Well, once uh-huh. Deborah becomes an attorney, she can do one of these class actions. I mean, there's so well, many things. There, there's there's right another now. point, yeah. If you want to be the, the attorney, if you can get licensed and you can be the attorney to do a class action suit, that's another story entirely. They can call, <laughs> the you know, they call men's mad dog. <laughs> Maybe they can start calling you mad dog. Um, you can replace the modern Mike, the, the, the next Michael Minns. 
Deborah Swan. We're out of time, folks, and want to thank everybody for listening. Want to thank Deborah for being our guest. Frank, thank you, and uh, we'll be back next Tuesday. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you and me and Deborah and Frank. Good night. religious and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188 That's 800-375-4188 Protect yourself and your family. about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserve 
preservatives, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com, N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com.
righty, good evening all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Tuesday, January 10th, 2017, and it is about eight minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time. If that's it, where it is, well, if that is when it is, where you're at, we are live. 800-932-1980 is the call-in number. Or you can go to the chat room that's located at our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. Maybe that's too much to remember. How about this? AVRN.TV. That's about as simple as it gets. All right, so there's that. Now let's get to some things and some stuff. All right, let's say uh, hello to everybody in the chat room already. I'm watching you. <laughs> Anyway, uh, here's some here's something encouraging to me. Uh, you know, it's just a a sign. You know that uh, things may go a different direction, which is good in some aspects. You know, because a lot of people, include you know, listen. I gotta say, you know, some of the things I've heard that the president elect has decided on is discouraging but then again I have to remember well I don't know that that's true you know okay what do I mean by that let's just say you're in Donald Trump's position and you realize you are surrounded by people who want to destroy you now, are you just going to come out, you know, blazing? I would. I mean, that's what I would do. No, honestly, I, I, I'm not kidding. I would come to town with a whole special forces battalion. I, honestly, I would. And everybody could call me a dictator and a tyrant all they'd like. But by the time I was done, they'd be they'd be happy about it. Well, the regular people would be happy about it. The people in Washington, D.C., well, depending on where they ended up, they may or may not be happy about it, but they'd be gone. But that's not going to be the answer for most people. Most people are going to try to, you know, and Donald Trump's a businessman. People criticize him because, well, he doesn't have any political uh, experience. Well, that's not true at all. If you're in big business, you're in politics, because politics is big business. There's no difference. It's just a matter of whose money you're using. You know, politicians use taxpayers' money, and uh, businessmen, you know, corporate CEOs, they use stockholders' money. Nobody uses their own money. They're all using somebody else's money. So the only difference is, well, whose money are you using? Well, what, what kind of big difference is that? Listen, Trump knows negotiations, okay? Now, whether he's the best at it or even good at it, who knows? But the thing is, he's good enough to be where he's at. So, don't you think maybe he might be, oh, I don't know, how do I put this? Oh, I know, to use a, let's, let's not forget Obama. So, maybe this could be his legacy, okay? Maybe uh, Trump is gaming the establishment a little bit. I think they call it gaslighting a little bit, too. You know, the thing is, 
he might not be telling them. He might be putting stuff out for their consumption. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about that. I was just kidding. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. You know, guy got a knife to your throat, and he says, I'm going to slit your throat because of you're going to do this. Oh, no, I'm not. I was just kidding. I'm not going to do that. What, are you kidding me? That's just campaign rhetoric. And they would believe that because that's all they ever do. They just lie all the time, everybody, all the time. So if you don't, come on, I'm lying. I was just lying. Oh, okay, never mind then. Now, vaccination skeptic Robert F. Kennedy Jr. said he will oversee a presidential panel to review vaccine safety and science at the request of the U.S. President-elect Donald Trump in a move likely to reignite debate despite now... Listen to this. Now debunked research that tied childhood immunizations to autism. This is, I want to point this out. This is from a rag called Raw Story. And when they say debunked, it was not debunked. Okay? It was at first, they, oh, this guy did this and that. Guess what happened after that? I guess they didn't catch the memo at Raw Story that it turned out they had to apologize and the guy's study was reinstated because it was all true. See, this is how the mainstream does it. Somebody will say something, they'll come out and say, lies, 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 and everybody will go, oh, well, that was debunked, it's all lies. And then uh, on page 92, three weeks later, they'll say, oh, it turned out it was all true, never mind. Or they do it the opposite way, and they go, Russia hack, Russia hack, Russia hack, Russia hack. And then three weeks later on page 85, uh, oh, never mind, it wasn't the Russians. But yet, there's people out there that will still, because all they heard was Russian hack, Russian hack, lies, lies, lies. They didn't hear on page 95, oh, we were wrong. No. See, it was never debunked. And as a matter of fact, there's other studies that show clearly that vaccinations are directly tied to autism in children. Plus, I'll tell you this, vaccinations have never worked. Forget about autism. Why are we doing them? They don't work. Now, everybody goes along with this whole theory. It's like the monkey theory. Yeah, you all came from monkeys. You know why? Because look at this. You came, uh, let's see, first you were slime, uh, then you crawled out of the ocean somehow, and then you uh, became a monkey somehow, and then uh, some of the monkeys decided that they didn't want to be monkeys anymore, and they became people, and here we are, and there's a little gap in there that we can't explain, but never mind about that. We'll call it the missing link, and it's no big deal. We'll teach this as fact. Yeah, okay, that's a great story. Well, actually, it's not even a great story. Do you realize... The theory of evolution would never be made into a sci-fi movie. Do you know why? Because it's so unbelievable and has so many missing pieces. It's like even sci-fi has to have believable, you know, from one step to the next step to the next step, has to be somehow coherent. And I'm sorry, the theory of evolution is incoherent. But vaccinations are exactly the same incoherent nightmare that that is, except even worse, because, see, the theory of evolution isn't directly killing anybody. Although on a worser, 
more serious situation, the theory of evolution is probably the cause for many souls ending up burning in hell. And that's a lot more serious than dying from a vaccination or even getting autism. But, for the here and now, vaccinations don't work. But the theory says, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to simulate nature because this is how your body reacts. You come, in cro- you come across some sort of uh, you know, a pathogen and your body recognizes it and creates antibodies and fights it. And that way you don't die. Your body fights it off. Okay, that's not disputed. That's the way the body works. So what we're going to do is we're going to simulate that. Okay, and how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to jab a steel needle into your skin, under your skin, and we're going to put these pathogens into your muscle tissue. All right. Well, what have you just done? I'll tell you what you've just done. You have just bypassed the whole system that you said you're simulating. Because there is no way in nature that people get jabbed and injected with pathogens. Nobody comes up and says, uh, here comes the little steel, uh, you know, uh, needled mosquito to give you the flu. Or to give you anything else that your body fights off. It's bypassing your immune response system, folks. You know, your mouth, your nose, your ears, you know, you get the picture. All the other orifices you have. Yeah. I mean, really, folks. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so now, what else? They don't just put the pathogen in there. They put adjuvants in there, like mercury. Oh, well, that's a known health uh, food, right? Mercury? I mean, you meet all kinds of people that are sick because they have a mercury deficiency, right? Oh, no, you don't? Oh, that's right, you don't, because mercury is a poison. Folks, it's a flawed... Okay, the theory... Yeah, all right, fine, we're going to simulate nature. We're going to simulate your autoimmune response. All right. Well, if you were going to do that, you would want to take these pathogens and put them in an aerosol and spray it on people so that, you know, they breathe it in and then, oh, you know, then what's going to happen? They're going to get sick. Hey, what happens when people get vaccines? Yeah, they get sick. You know, it's just, anyway, it just pisses me off to no end when, when places like this hack job raw story here says things now debunked research. It is not now. It's just a lie. See, this right here counts as fake news. Because when you say something's been debunked that hasn't been, you're lying, and that makes it fake news. And you know what? If they haven't kept on it enough to know... And they just say, oh, well, gee, we didn't know. Well, then you shouldn't be writing stories like that. You shouldn't be saying this. President-elect Trump has some doubts about the current vaccine policy. And he has questions about it. Yeah. Has some doubts about the, the current policy. What is the current policy? We're going to force you 
to in- to allow strangers to inject your children with poisons, or we take them away and put them into foster care with a bunch of pedophiles. Wow. That's some policy, isn't it? But, hey, there it is. That is the policy. Kennedy, who has raised questions about the safety of vaccines, and, and why wouldn't anybody raise safety issues about vaccines? I mean, when the United States Congress has to step in and say, okay, we're making a law where you cannot sue this particular industry. Really? And why is that? Because everything they do is so safe there couldn't be possibly any liability and all lawsuits must be frivolous? Or is it because this industry is killing people left and right, ruining people's lives left and right, snatching people's futures from them left and right? And, uh, well, to hold them liable would just be too costly, so we're not going to do it. We're not going to let you do it. But we're going to force you to, you know, what kind of country is that that says we are going to force you to allow this poison to be forcibly injected into your body? Oh, and by the way, you're not allowed to sue the perpetrator if something goes wrong. That's the current policy, folks. Yeah, I got questions about it, too. Except, see, I'll answer those questions with a rifle if anybody tries to stick me with a needle and inject me with anything. And I don't care if it's after the fact. Because if you do that to me, get ready, because I'm going to be coming for you. You can lock me up for whatever, because someday I'll get out. Because right there, that, that, that's just, I'm not allowing it. I'm not allowing it without retribution. And I don't care what the government thinks about it. Because what that is, that that is insane. And we got somebody in the government has the has a nerve to even insinuate that this is a free country when you're forcing people to be injected against their will and then And then, to compound that, after you inject them against their will, and they end up damaged because of it, you say they're not allowed to sue the perpetrator. Wow! Sounds like a title of nobility to me. Sounds like we're not a nation of laws anymore. Sounds like the federal government has lost all legitimate authority all they have now is force somebody in the chat room said geez I I think everybody should just buy a rifle and get this started well you know what everybody has bought a rifle there's probably 200 million weapons in this country maybe more probably 500 million weapons in this country we're armed to the teeth and we're getting more and more armed every day and I think it's great but What do we have? We have clowns going into airports and shooting up people. How come these, how come none, not one ever of these incidents is ever happening at, say, oh, I don't know, an IRS office or a DEA office 
or even an FDA office or, you know, any government office or congressman's office or any place of the government, the legislature, the state legislatures. God, there's 50 of them. How come it never happens at any of them? Why is it always happening at clubs and airports and schools? Huh? Why is it always happening there and never, ever It doesn't even happen at a police station, for crying out loud. You got all these Black Lives Matters people out there going, oh, the police this, the police that, we hate the police, we blah, 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 police. Really? How many police departments have you read about being blown off the face of the earth by some disgruntled terrorist or something? Yeah, never. No, they'll go bomb a, 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 a preschool or something, right? You know why? Because they're all BS. They're all false flags. That's why. They're all designed for one and one purpose only, and that's terror. Because, see, nobody's going to be terrorized if somebody walks in an IRS agent, uh, you know, office and kills all the IRS agents in there. Nobody's going to be terrorized by that except maybe other IRS agents. The rest of the country's all going to be doing the jig and having a party. So they go to a club. Ooh, well, I don't know. Maybe we can't go out. Maybe we can't go have a good time. Maybe we got to be in fear everywhere we go because it could be us next. But not if you're a government agent. You got nothing to worry about. Nobody ever attacks where you work or where you live or where you party or anything like that. How come? Is everybody just, is all the terrorists out there just so stupid that they don't realize? Well, go, gee, um, who are we, who, um, let's see, I'm ISIS now. Let me, let me think here. Uh, who am, uh, okay, yeah, the U.S. government, that's who I don't like. So I know what I'll do. I'll go kill some innocent people at a club. Really? How come ISIS isn't thinking, you know, yeah, the United States government is really pissing me off, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to one of the U.S. government buildings, and I'm going to blow it to the ground with everybody in there. How come, huh? Oh, well, here's an easy answer. Because ISIS is the U.S. government. That's why. Look, folks, put on your thinking caps. Do a little simple math, like one plus one is two. Okay? Why are all the terrorists in the world always attacking innocent civilians? If they're meaning to terrorize the U.S. government, I mean, why would they want to even terrorize the U.S. people? Hey, we're as much victims as the people in Iraq or Afghanistan or anywhere else in the world the federal government is enforcing their will. And the ones that aren't victims are just mindless dupes. The general population ain't got nothing to do with the rest of the world's suffering, but those scumbags in Washington, D.C., and every state capital in this country, oh, they most certainly do. So how come all the terrorists aren't focusing on their enemy? You want to terrorize somebody? I don't know. If I'm going to terrorize somebody, I'm going to terrorize the people that are injuring me. Damaging my property, killing my family, blowing my country to the ground. 
Those are the people I'm going to be terrorizing. Not innocent civilians and dupes that don't know any better. I'm not going to be terror. What's the point? Unless, of course, you are the federal government. Then you would want to terrorize. Do you get in the picture, folks? Look, investigate it like you would a crime. God, y'all watch those stupid cop shows all the time. I know you do because they wouldn't still be on the air if y'all weren't watching them. Haven't you learned anything? Let's see. Motive? Who benefits? Who had the opportunity? Hmm. You know, we're investigating a crime here. As far as I know, terrorism is a crime still. Oh, it's ISIS. Okay, so it's... Oh, all right, it's ISIS. So, ISIS, their motivation to terrorize the American people is why? How exactly does ISIS gain from terrorizing the American people? And, uh... How much of an opportunity does ISIS really have to pull off half these things? You see, it starts falling apart. Oh, if you want to stretch it, you might be able to say, well, because of this, that, and the other thing. But let's look at this. What motivation would the United States government have in terrorizing the American people? Oh, I think you can find a lot of motivation. How could the United States government gain from terrorizing the American people. Oh, you don't even have to think about that. You just can look back at recent history. The Patriot Act, the NDAA, uh, on and on it goes, folks. And who has the opportunity? Oh, well, the (laughs) United States government certainly has an opportunity. So, given that criteria... Which is more likely, that ISIS or some Islamic caveman in some foreign country is pulling off all these terrorist attacks? Or is it more likely it is the federal government of the United States? Hey, just investigate it like you would any other crime, and you're going to find out that it is far more likely and plausible that the United States government is behind all of this. It's kind of a bummer. It's kind of a sobering thought. But, I mean, it shouldn't come as a shock to you, especially those of you that listen to this broadcast and this network. Because, I mean, people have come straight out and said it. Other people have hinted at it. And we've all done that for a very long time. So have other networks and programs out there. You got to start catching on, folks. You got to stop living in this dream world that where you think the federal government, well, you know, there's some bad people in the federal government, but mostly all, oh, they're pretty good. No, they're all bad. They're all your enemy, and they're all working against you. Every last single one of them. All the jerks, all the clerks, all of them. Every last one of them is your enemy. If they work for the government, they are your enemy. Don't ever forget that. And the Founding Fathers knew it. Of course, they recognized that government is necessary. They tried to limit it. 
How's that working? Let's take a break. We'll be back in a little bit.
since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now.
All right, we're back. This is the Frank Report. And it's still Tuesday, January 10th, 2017. It's about 842 and a half. 800-932-1980 is the call-in number. TheAmericanVoice.com or AmericanVoiceRadio.com is the website. And that last song there was uh, by The Firm. And it's radioactive. Played it for everybody out here on the West Coast. With all the radioactive rain and snow coming down, uh, you know, I figured that would be an appropriate song. And the first song was an old Leonard Skinner, uh, and I mean old, out of the uh, Muscle Shoals recordings. So there you have it. All right, let's get on to some stuff. Well, as Donald Trump prepares to become U.S. president, the future of NAFTA is in doubt. He has promised to either renegotiate or withdraw from the trade agreement. Despite the outcome of the 2016 presidential election, there are still many different existing North American integration mechanisms that remain in place. Over the last year, the globalists have quietly laid the foundation to ensure their continental agenda continues. They are positioning themselves so they can try to better influence the new Trump administration in advancing deeper economic, political, and security integration in North America. Folks, they're not going to stop, okay? These globalists need to be eliminated, not defeated, eliminated, because they will not go away. Whether they lose or not, they don't care. They will never stop. Look, you know what? This is why you kill people in wars rather than just capture everybody and say, okay, well, when it's over, you can all go again. The, the North American Leaders Summit in June of last year, the U.S., Canada, and Mexico agreed to the formation of a North American caucus. Yeah, a Government of Canada press release explained how the initiative is designed to enhance cooperation on regional and global priorities by establishing a consultation mechanism that will meet twice a year. This mechanism will support regular meetings of the North American foreign ministers and other annual multilateral policy dialogues. The North American caucus will also... Inc you know, I, I want to ask you something, folks. When America went through our industrial revolution and grew America into an industrial powerhouse of the world... Did we consult with Mexico and Canada to see what they thought about it? No, I don't think we did. The North American caucus will also encourage collaboration on emerging political developments and security concerns. You know, the homeland you saw the map, didn't you, folks? Held up by, uh, what's her name? I think it was uh, Diane Frankenstein. Held up this, this map of the homeland. Oh, guess what the homeland is, according to the map the senator held up in the Senate. Canada, the United States, and Mexico. Yeah, that's the homeland. 
Hmm. Yeah, so they're going to have cooperation on that, as well as promote cooperation. Boy, there's a lot of cooperation. They must um, use that word a lot. On regional energy security, climate change, environmental issues, economic competitiveness, and citizen security and health. During a press conference at the most recent NALS, President Barack Hussein Obama acknowledged, quote, we're going to do, we're going to do more to speak with one united North American voice on the world stage. Well, gee, I didn't realize Obama was elected president of North America. Well, after Brexit and Trump's election victory, the globalists have been very busy regrouping, and they're not about to just roll over quietly, uh, and, and then they're planning their next move. A Clinton pre- presidency would, of course, been a continuation of the Obama's disastrous foreign policies and would have been especially favorable to their overall agenda. With the collapse of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the globalists have an opportunity to shift their focus to renegotiating and modernizing NAFTA. Oh, wait a minute. As Donald Trump prepares to become U.S. president, the future of NAFTA is in doubt. He has promised to either renegotiate. Ooh, wait a minute. Maybe not. Maybe we ought to all write the Donald a letter and say, listen, we don't want to renegotiate. We want you out of it. We don't want to be a part of NAFTA anymore. We were doing much better without NAFTA. And get the hell out of the World Trade Organization while you're at it. They want to modernize NAFTA as a way of furthering, deepening North American integration. It is imperative that we continue to resist the mechanisms which threaten our sovereignty. Uh, Because what they're going to do, they're going to try to take parts of the TPP that failed and upgrade it into NAFTA. Man. Arizona's recently re-elected Republican scumbag, I mean Senator John McCain, along with his faithful girlfriend, South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, recently met with a contingent of Ukrainian troops at a forward combat zone uh-huh, in Skororki in eastern Ukraine and publicly questioned President-elect Donald Trump's plans to defrost Americans' chilly relations with Russia. For McCain, his return to his personal war front in Ukraine came three years after he stood with Ukrainian neo-Nazis and fascists on Kiev's Maiden Square calling for the ouster of President Viktor Yankovich. Meanwhile, McCain, Graham, and their neoconservative allies within the Republican and Democratic parties, as well as press outlets like the Washington Post, or should I say CIA newspaper, have questioned Trump's ultimate loyalty to the United States. The neocons' angst arises from their anger over the incoming president wisely doubting the efficacy of central intelligence agencies linking... Russia to a spat of computer penetrations 
of U.S. computer systems and networks. <laughs> yeah, and what what are those U.S. computer systems and networks? The Democratic National Committee? Really? Why is that considered a U.S. Uh, computer system and network? I mean, if the DNC is considered that, then everybody else's little laptop must be considered that, or your mobile phone must be considered that, because what the hell is the, what the Democratic National Committee? They're not part of the government. They're a private organization. After President Obama expelled 35 Russian diplomats from Washington, D.C. and San Francisco and shut down two Russian diplomatic compounds in Maryland and New York in retaliation for unproven Russian government involvement in the hacking, McCain and his neocon war hawks doubled down by claiming that Russian hacking of U.S. computer systems amounted to an act of war, seizing on the neocons' war frenzy. The CIA Department of Homeland Security announced that Russian hackers had penetrated the electric power grid operated by Vermont's Burlington Electric. Well, except, uh, you know, that wasn't true. Yeah, they go on here. There was only one problem with the Russian electrical hat. Yeah, it wasn't true. Yeah, I'm not going to go on to that, but uh, we we all know that, right? You know why. Go look it up, folks. It turned out that the Ukraine, the country where McCain, Graham, his girlfriend, and Minnesota's rather myopic Democratic Senator Amy Klobacher, or whatever her name, were kibitzing with army troops and neo-Nazi armed militia members over the holidays, was the source of the malware hacking program used to hack into DNC computers. The Washington Post was also forced to shamefully retract its grid hacking story. The episode was yet another example. Did did you get this? The Ukraine was the source of the malware hacking program used to hack into the DNC computers. Are, Are you getting that? The Ukraine, not Russia. The Ukraine, you know, the U.S. satellite banana republic that the U.S. put in power during the Russian Olympics while they were busy, you know, with their Olympics. The U.S. overthrew the democratically elected president of the Ukraine and installed their own puppet. You remember that, don't you? Oh, I know you didn't read it on the Washington Post and all, but it really happened. Yeah, that's where it came to. That's where it came from. Not Russia. Well, anyway, so... um, The episode was yet another example of the haste at which the outgoing Obama administration and the neocon toadies in the Republican Party led by John McShane were apt to blame any bad news on the Russians. It was as if the Cold War, which Hunter Senator Joseph McCarthy, well, had met the Keystone Cops. You know, they keep bringing up Joseph McCarthy's name as uh, a witch hunt, but, you know, it just happens to turn out that Joseph McCarthy was right. The United States government and Hollyweird have been, they were at that time, infiltrated and infested with communists, okay? 
Joseph McCarthy was right. When you're right, it ain't a witch hunt. Unless, of course, you know, you count hunting real witches a witch hunt. But usually people say witch hunt when, oh, you're just calling people witches that aren't witches. But there really, really were and really, really are communists in Washington, D.C. And John McCain is one of them. The situation would have been funny if it had not been for the fact that the actions of Obama and the neocons propelled the world closer to cataclysmic warfare with the likes of McCain, his girlfriend Graham, and others beating the war drums. The Federal Bureau of Investigation and DHS amateurly coined the alleged Russian hacking of the DNC computers with the cover term Grizzly Step, a code phrase that would have been rejected by any legitimate Hollywood movie scriptwriters being too cartoonish and campy. Moreover, the malware used in the hacking of the Democrats' computers was an antiquated version of PHP, a program originally designed for personal home pages. Hence, the abbreviation PHP, but which now stands for uh, hypertext re- uh, preprocessor. The PHP malware was found to be freely distributed by a Ukraine hacker, Ukrainian hacker, Ukrainian hacker, Ukrainian hacker group as a hacker's tool. Although the FBI, DHS, and CIA did not bother to investigate whether the Ukrainian hackers were linked to McCain and Graham's friends in the Ukrainian intelligence service. The Ukrainians would have had every reason to initiate a further damaging fracture in relations between the United States and Russia. Furthermore, the Ukrainians could have availed themselves of network weaving tools to run their malware through servers in Russia. Are you getting the picture? Let me take you back to the first half of the show where I mentioned investigating a crime. Hmm, who had the motive? Who gains from it? And who had the opportunity? Well, what does Russia have to gain by hacking into the DNC? This? Sanctions? Being expelled out of the United States? Going to the brink of World War III? You think that is a gain? You think that's a motivation for anybody? Shoot, if Russia wanted World War III, they could just push a couple of buttons, nuke a couple of places, and bing, bang, boom, we'd be in World War III. They don't need to hack the DNC to do that. They got nothing to gain. But, on the other hand... The Ukrainians have a lot to gain, don't they? Drive a wedge between Russia and the United States, because I'll tell you what, if the United States starts getting along with Russia, the biggest loser in that game is going to be the Ukrainian Nazis over there. That's right, John McCain's good buddies, just like his good buddies in North Korea. Boy, I'll tell you, John McCain can really pick his friends, can he? And then his little girlfriend, Lindsey Graham there, you know, she just goes along with whatever uh, the big man says. These people make me sick, I'll tell you. And no, I don't mean the Jewish Odessa. If I meant that, I would have said it. The fact is, 
the Ukrainians a bunch of Nazis. And whether they're Jewish or not, doesn't matter. The Ukraine is an illegitimate, rogue government that really, the United States should abandon them. Actually, the United States should go back in there and say, you know what, you're out, we're having elections, and you get to pick whoever you want, and we'll leave you alone after that. Well, of course, I don't think Trump would even do that, but, you know, that's what they ought to do. And, you know, maybe give them a whole pile of money for what we did to them. Because what we did to them was destabilize and put their country into a civil war. That's what the federal government did to the Ukraine. Oh, and they'll end up hating the United States for that. You can you can bet on it. I'm sure they already do, but, you know. Hey, get in line. The rest of the world hates the United States, too. And for good reason. And I got even better news for you. About half the people in the United States hate the United States government. And everybody involved with it. Although a lot of them don't realize that, yeah, everybody involved in it is to blame. But I got to go. I'll be back in uh, tomorrow at, uh, let's see, two, no, tomorrow's Wednesday. Wednesday, that's what I wanted to remind you. Tomorrow's Wednesday. I won't be on till 3 p.m. tomorrow. So it's an hour later than usual. So that's when I'll be on, and I'll see you then. Stay tuned. We got good stuff. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs> religious and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188 That's 800-375-4188 Protect yourself and your family. After reviewing the results of a six-year investigation into the tragedy at Waco, Texas, I am convinced that the American people have never been told the full truth about that matter.
Having served with the FBI's hostage negotiation team during this crisis, April the 19th would mark the end of one of my duties and the beginning of another. Unknown to me, my life was about to change forever as I would come to know what failure is. Today I saw the gates of hell. undertake historic joint hearings on executive branch conduct during the, that led up to the events at Waco, Texas in 1993. In human terms, these hearings are about a... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.